With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You know what's so funny? Someone asked me the the other day, when did you know you were a good storyteller? In ninth grade. In ninth grade, and I I made a joke about this on stage the other day. I went on a rant about hot chicks and going, I would love to be able to have been a hot chick growing up. Like that would have been great just to be hot. And then as an attractive woman, you're automatically famous. You turn heads and people look at you and they want to meet you. But I had to learn how to tell a story. Ninth grade, I remember I went to an all boys Catholic high school and and it was so different than my other high school because there were no girls there. So you had to have an ascertainable talent to be able to sit at a lunch table. Like you had to have a reason to be at that cool lunch table. Like, if you looked around all the lunch tables and one lunch table was hot and people were standing up around it, you had to have a reason to have a seat there. And for me, my reason was telling a story. I remember rehearsing my stories from religion class over to the cafeteria being like, all right, I'm going to tell the story about the beer run that we did and came in when he jumped. And I literally was like, and then a a dog jumps in. Oh, that'd be funny as shit. And so I learned how to tell a story in, in high school. And this goes back to the beginning, but I think it leads to the comedy, it leads to all your career, is on the one hand, you appear fearless. Like, you'll go on stage, you'll take your shirt off, it's almost as if you don't care what people think, yeah. you know, you'll fight a bear just because the producer tells you to. Like, you don't want people to dislike you and you and you appear fearless, but the contrast is, a lot of it is because you desperately want people to like you. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, hardcore. Brilliant. That's that'll be the future. I think that people will catch up to that. I know Gary Vanderchuk's doing does that too, but comics will pick up with that in the, you know, I think soon. I I agree with you. I think the whole idea of shows is going away. And I think like like you look at Uber. If you open your Uber app, Spike Lee produces a TV series on Uber. You just have to have a place with traffic and then you can put content there. Yeah. Like why does it have to be on Netflix on your remote control? So it's all we all look at the videos on our phone and laptop anyway. It's funny, I have we started? No. Okay, okay I'll, I'll save I'll save it. Oh, okay, we're uh, rolling. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I got uh I mean, I'm old school in this business, meaning like I when I started, people would be like, I want to get a development deal. I want to get a sitcom. Like that was the path. So getting on TV was the goal. And now I'm in the business. And now I'm like, you couldn't pay me to do TV. No, TV, 
I'm going to introduce you in a second, but this is, this is my favorite conversation in the world. By the way, this is my favorite conversation <laughs> in the world. All right, good. We have a lot to talk about. Oh. Uh, the top rated 10 TV shows all have less than 10 million views. One, there's hundreds of YouTube videos today they're going to have 50 million views. Yeah. So like, what is even the relevance of TV anymore? Yeah. And it's so much work and there are so many gatekeepers. Like you can, you have to go through your agent, then a production company, then another production company, then a studio, then a channel, and then a marketing department and producers. And then at the end of the day, someone's going to give you notes and then they could just say no. Yeah. And your dreams are crushed. I took a show called Something's Burning uh, to Food Network. I was at Travel Channel for years, and I took this show. I pitched it. I pitched two shows that I really genuinely believed in. One was Something's Burning. It's just me, a cooking show where I cook with my friends. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And they were like, you're not a cook. I go, it doesn't matter. It'll be good. No, you're, but you're not a chef. It doesn't matter. That, the other show I pitched, and I swear to God, this is stupid, but it's called, it was, you know, Bath Crashers and House Crashers. I pitched it at DIY Networks. It was called Moat Crashers, where you built people's moats. And they're like, but wait. Who wants a moat? I go, that's not the fucking point. The point is some idiot's going to say yes and we get to build them a moat. And for no one's changing the channel. Everyone's waiting for the reveal. We're like, here's your moat. Right, and it could be yeah. if, if occasionally you have like a celebrity moat. Yeah. Everyone's going to want to see, did Ryan Seacrest really want a moat around yeah. his house and, and, but, and so, with dragons? So then uh, they just thought I was an idiot, like a legit idiot. I started making Something's Burning on my own at, out of all things comedy. Bill Burr pays for it technically. Uh, we've got a bunch of our videos have over a million views. People love the show. It's probably the biggest thing I've ever done creative-wise, bigger than any of my TV shows, and it draws people. I don't get paid for it. We don't make any money on it. We just put it out there, and it draws people to my shows. People come into my show, they go, I love your cooking show because I just have my friends on. I swear to God, mark my fucking words. If I get the opportunity, I will make moat crashers, and it will go viral. It I, will go viral. I love the cooking show idea. You got to get Coolio on your cooking show. Coolio is a pain in the ass to work with. I He's been on the him. podcast once before, but but <laughs> but I've seen him on cooking shows, and it seems like he's a disaster there. He oh oh yeah, that's right. He was on the the one I think Guy Fieri and Rachel Ray had, where they brought on celebrities yeah, cooking. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. I worked with Coolio one time, and. Uh, we we did some show me him and Shannon Doherty. That she is so, still hot. That is a good combination too. Me him that, and Shannon Doherty. That is that is like the '90s cocktail, like 1990. That is 1994. Yeah, like defined Coolio and Shannon Doherty. Okay, let me ask you this. Please. Did you ever watch Beverly Hills 90210? Yes. And right when Shannon Doherty's about to quote unquote act, if you pause right at that moment, her her tongue is always sticking out. She, if you, you just have to watch any back episode of every, she does this in every single episode. Yeah. I've never seen anyone else do it. Her tongue, right before she's about to have an emotional moment, her tongue sticks out for about one second. There's, can I tell you, I love, I, I wonder if me and you have the same disability. I love <laughs> that little things that I can hold on to my, for my entire life that are like, that I bring up to people and they're like, yeah, I never noticed that. I don't know if that'll, can I tell you my favorite line from 90210? Yeah. Uh, Brendan does ecstasy for the first time, him and this girlfriend, and Dylan and Shannon, or whatever her name, Brenda, are mad at him. And they're and Brendan, they they leave them at the club. And Brendan stands up on a they're on the hood of a car and he stands up and he goes, Don't go away, mad. And then the girl stands up, and she goes, Just go away. <laughs> I loved that song that from Molly Crew. And I died laughing. And I think about that like once a week. I think about that line. <laughs> That, that is a good line. I don't remember that one. I'll tell you my 
not my favorite moment, but the way that show's changed my life. Whenever I go to California, I actually don't know the name of the hotel that it's changed. Oh no, I do know the name of it. It's the London Hotel. Yeah, um, I'm staying at the London now. Okay, well, yeah. it used to be the Bellage Hotel, which is where they had their senior prom. <laughs> so I always stay at the London now when I go to LA. Oh because that's where Beverly Hills, that's where Beach 90210 had their senior prom. Wait, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, New Jersey, but I was living in Pittsburgh at the time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, I grew up in Florida. So anything, for me, anything California or New York was always really exotic. Like, at Florida was, like, I remember this girl, Ashley Howley, came to school. She's pretty, but she wasn't, like, the most beautiful girl in the world, but she was pretty. But she was from L.A., and everyone's like, whoa. And it's, like, so cool. Because I think, you know, everything was always, like, Florida was, like, a, a step like a, a little brother to LA. Like our waves were never as big. Our sharks were never as big. Right, your towns have the same names. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. West Palm is, we got Palm Bowden there. But yeah, it's, I always looked up to LA. And then when I finally got to LA, I was like, oh, I'm living here for the rest of my life. Yeah. Will you live there for the rest of your life? Yeah, I will. I wanted to, I want to move. I, I played uh, tennis with this old man, Marty was his name. I wonder if he's still alive. Right when I first had kids. Started having kids. We used to play every morning, me and Marty. And he was going through a divorce. And he said to me, be very, uh, be very careful to make sure that you and your wife have the same goals in life about what you want to do when you retire. By the way, it was so far away from me at that time that I was like, huh? And he was like, my wife wanted, wants to spend time with my grandkids. And I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to be on a boat. And my wife doesn't want to be on a boat. And so we're getting a divorce. And they got a divorce. They ended up getting back together because he was like, life with my wife and my grandchildren is more important than just being on a boat. But I said to my wife recently, I said, where do you want to retire? I just thought of that conversation. And she goes, oh, I want to re retire in the hills, in the mountains. I want to go to the mountains somewhere. And I went, oh, no, we're going to the beach. I want to <laughs> live on a beach. And she's like, I'm not going to live on a beach. And I went, oh, my God. But I want to retire. I want to own. There's a bar in the Virgin Islands called Foxy's. And it's on the beach. It's on the beach, like sand everywhere. So, so that does seem like it would be perfect for you. And even though I haven't yet introduced you, so the audience doesn't know, but what are you going to do? I want to do stand-up. I want to play music. I want to make ribs. I want to make hot wings. But your wife wants beer. to move to the hills of like West Virginia or something. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh. You're going to have to convince her. Yeah. My guess is you're convincing. <laughs> My guess is you're persuasive. You convinced her to marry you. Yeah, I was, I was, that was a tough one. Look. I get, I'm engaged right now, so I totally get the idea of having to convince someone to marry you. Yeah. But I have not yet had that retirement question. That's good advice. Yeah. And I want to say, I just want to introduce you. You're not a, a marriage counselor, although you could potentially pose as one. You're a Burt Kreischer. You're a great stand-up comedian. You've been one for forever. I want to tell you another thing about my memory of you which is that in 1997, I read the Rolling Stone article oh, for real? of you being the biggest partier in the world. I forget the title. Number one party animal in the country. The number one party animal in the country. I remember clearly, because I remember who is this guy who's like a six year senior at some Florida place. And I was thinking, I was, I was mildly jealous. I was thinking, you know what? This probably could never be me in any alternate reality. Like I'm just too nerdy and not, extroverted enough and you you seem just in the article like whoa any anything goes and yeah. let's have fun let's do whatever and it seemed like a good life but i just i couldn't do it yeah it's that life becomes problematic 
Like, I, there's problems with the way I live my life. Like, I have impulse control. I, like, I, uh, I, I would love to be more like you. Trust me. Like, I saw you had a book in your hand today, and I was like, God, I wish I could read books. Like, I wish oh, I could. Excuse it, me. It's my your book. book. <laughs> I saw that. I saw it in your hand. Your book like, that you wrote. I go, of course he's reading a book. And then I, I saw that, and I went, and then I went, oh, it's my book. But, yeah, that's how far, far, I didn't, yeah, I read my book once. Uh, did you like it? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I wrote it, but I wrote it, but I had to read it for uh, audiobook. Like I had to read. Oh, uh, I hate, I hate doing the audiobook, dude. It took me twenty-two hours to get through reading a five-hour audiobook. Like yeah, twenty-two hours. And the best part, <clears throat> the reason my audiobooks outperformed my book beyond. Yes. But the reason is number number one. The reason is most of my fans are podcast fans, or that's the way they take in information. They do audiobooks and stuff like that, and podcasts. But also the the editor left in all my fuck ups. So as I spin out of control, he left it in. So you hear me at one point go, son of a fucking bitch. I'm taking my pants off. It's hot as crap in here. Is the air conditioning on? And so that's what people love about that book is that I just, it is completely unedited. Well, I, in my audiobook, I start, so I did an audiobook for one of my books and I started reading it. I'm like, I am not, I just can't sit here and read like a robot off the page. Yeah. So I just took the chapter titles read a few paragraphs to remind myself what the chapter was about, and I just riffed on each chapter. So it becomes a whole different product. Yeah, it's so funny. Apparently, Tracy Morgan did that. He just sat in a room and talked. Like, they had his book, and he'd, like, look at it, and then he'd just go off on other subjects. That's great, and I could see Tracy Morgan doing that. Yeah. Particularly given your story of Tracy Morgan in this very book. So, mm -hmm. which, yeah. which, which maybe we'll get to. But... um First off, I just want to mention your special just came out on Netflix, uh, Secret Time, streaming now on Netflix. It's brilliant. It's great. Thank you. I think it's, a, it's, it's kind of the next step after your last special, which was The Machine, because now you're getting into, you know, you're not the biggest party animal in the world. You're a parent yeah. and a husband and, you know, you do these shows and you're a comedian. You do all these reality shows. You're a stand-up comic. And and I feel the special, you kind of update the audience on your life a little bit more. I guess I, you know, I had no, I had no insight on what I like. I didn't, I didn't have a point of view when I do. When I write material, is just I write what I'm in the middle of, like you know, like whatever is going on in your life. And I guess I, I was talking a lot about being a parent. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize any of it. To be dead honest with you, all I know is that like. Forbes did a review of my special and it was a very nice review saying uh, this Burt Kreischer can still exist after the machine and he's transitioned into middle-agedness and I was like and then I looked at my special I was like oh my god I'm like a fucking middle-aged man like that's oh my god and then I was like oh my god I'm like if you had told me that I, this is what the special I would have put out when I was young I'd be like wait am I not cool anymore and I was like no I guess I'm just regular like you no, can't. but it's a good thing. But I'll tell you, like in what is it? In minute ten or minute fifteen, you're talking about buying your wife seven pairs of pajamas. That's that's middle. That's a middle aged gift. Yeah. <laughs> you you don't even give your wife that when you're just married, like in yeah. your twenties. Like you only give that when you're like I don't even know how old you are. You're in your forties. I'm forty five. So yeah, that's a forty five year old husband's gift. Yeah. <laughs> to a wife, seven pajamas. It's so funny. I didn't know that was a joke. Um. And we were talking a little bit before this started about why you do spots in the city and why you do spots on the road. And I was just screwing around in the OR in the original room at the comedy store. 
and I just told that story. I was looking, I was like, just needed material. And, and I just told the story because it really is a story of me making my dad laugh for the first time. And Adam Egit, who runs a comedy store, I got off stage and I just was, I just thought I bombed, like legit. And he was like, dude, I love that pajama story. And I was like, I, I was so caught off guard. I was like, are you being serious? He was like, dude, it's hilarious. I was like, really? He goes, oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had always been jealous of like, there's a comic named, uh, God damn it. Uh, what was his name? Uh, he passed away. Uh, one of the Latin kings of comedy. Um, uh, shit. No, not Latin Mendoza? king of comedy. But he did like the, he did the K Loco tour, I think. God dang it. Freddie Soto. Freddie Soto uh, passed away. But he had a, a joke about his dad that made me die laughing, die laughing. It was about his dad misusing the word irregardless. And it was, and he go, it was such a great joke. And I was, in my head, I was like, I love when comics talk about their dads because we all have dad issues. Like Sebastian, when he talks about his dad, Tom Segura, when he talks about his dad, like it's just something. Oh, Sebastian's special opens with jokes on his dad. Like, Dude. like he saw his whole thing is like, Dad, we sold out Radio City Music Hall for four, four nights. And, and guess what my dad says? Uh, is there enough parking? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, one of my favorite jokes about, I told you about Sebastian this right before I shot my special. I was like, I love the joke he has about his dad going, uh, he's like, I remember one, telling my dad I wanted a dog. And his dad's like, the neighbors have a dog. You don't pet the, that dog. Pet that dog for 30 minutes. But like, I love those jokes. And so when he said that, I went, oh my God, I have a joke about my dad. I was like, oh, my, I got really excited because I, I just don't find my parents funny, like, at all. But you, in, in your book and in your specials and, and on <coughs> Joe Rogan, you, you talk about your dad a lot. I do. Like, I, but, when, you, when you meet Will, Will Smith, so you're doing stand-up for six months. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Oh, I'll take another double Tito's and soda if anyone's <laughs> wondering. In a big glass like this. Lots of ice. <laughs> um, I love getting drunk. <laughs> like I love it so much. Like I really We wanted hope, you to feel at home. Here. I hope I never I, I'm like I'm very cognizant of my drinking so that I can always drink because I don't want to not I don't want to have a problem with it to the point where people are like like I would have not drank normally, but when you say one, that's what we talk about. Like when you read that article and you were like, Oh, I wish I could live like that. That is one of my biggest problems. When you said, Oh, I want a vodka, I was just gonna have a beer and sip it, but when you said I'll take a vodka tonic. I, my tits get loose and I get like excited and I go, oh, nice. Oh, we can have a cocktail. Oh, the park's right there. Oh my God. Oh, I have a, I'm a, oh, I'm going to get a steak tonight. Oh, I'm going to, like, I get excited about life. Okay. But what if you find out you have a drinking problem? Well, I probably do, but like, like won't it affect in the long term, you know, your long term health, your, your, well, I do, I'm very, that's why I say I'm very cognizant of it is that I don't drink, I don't drink at home. Uh, like really? when I'm in LA, yeah, I don't drink at home. And, uh, but like, even still, like I do, I run triathlons and marathons and five, I run a lot. Uh, I exercise a great deal, but on like something like this, like I knew this was a wash. When I come to New York, I end up partying all the time because it's just, it just is New York. Like um, what'd you do last night? And by the way, I haven't, I'm, I'm, we're going to circle back to your dad cause I have something yeah, I want to ask I'm you. I'm sorry. But, but no, what'd you do last night? <laughs> last night, uh, I went, I did a podcast called The Gist with this guy. It was a really amazing podcast. The guy was a, an amazing interview. We were, I, I was really impressed with the interview. And then I came in, I went to do the who, bonfire with Big J. Who, who, who does The Gist? Do we know who does The Gist? I don't know. I can't remember his name, but he was a, a, a fan. If you haven't I'll, done it, I'll you should it do out. it. He's an amazing interviewer. Um, 
What? <laughs> and so, and so, and then I went and did Big J's uh, yeah. Bonfire with Dan, him and Dan. And Mike Vecchione showed up and we all started drinking Tito's. And uh, then Mike I went, Vecchione just had an album release. Dude, he is so funny. It's the, uh, can I be honest? It's the best album I've heard in probably 17 years since Skanks for the Memories. I, I had to go up once following him. And it's really difficult because his timing is like the best in the business. Dude, his Megabus joke might be my favorite, one of my favorite jokes I've ever yeah. heard. And made me, it made me really think, I'm not writing enough. Thank you so much. I'm good. Thank you. It made me realize I'm not writing enough. I'm not writing. Like we were talking about this outside again, once again, to bring up our outside conversation. But I get really nifty. What my, where my brain is focused on a joke is making sure you know it's over. Like making sure it's got an ending. But that's when people that that sort of tells people it's time to laugh and clap. And yeah. so, and if it's a good joke, they'll not only laugh, they'll clap. So, because because yeah. they'll sense you built up, you crafted a beautiful ending to a story. If if, if you're just telling set up punchline, they don't clap. Yeah. They laugh. So, so yeah. So, so maybe that's why you like that clapping. You, what happened and, and was, you, and you see this in your book, by the way. You crave the you want people to like you. Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> and but that but that but that that is both a driving force. As long as you temper it, it has to be almost like a pet you keep around, but you don't let it drag you around. Yeah, exactly. What happened? What happened for me with with I don't know. I don't do not know what question you had asked, and I don't know why I'm talking about this. <laughs> but there's a joke in the new special about time travel, about my daughter's deodorant, and I had wanted this conversation I had with my daughter, where she basically asked me about time travel one night while I was high. She didn't know I was high. She asked me about time travel. I had wanted that to be in my first, my second special I did for Showtime. And I couldn't cram, no, 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 the, yeah, the machine special for Showtime. I tried to cram it in, I couldn't cram it in. And then one night in Calgary, I kind of like accidentally messed up my material and I told it, I told the deodorant part and then I told the deodorant part and then getting high and then the softball story and realized I never finished the beginning. And so I told the mid, I literally chopped it in half and told two bits in the middle and then told the end of the time travel at the end. Fitting. And, and yeah, and then and then and then I realized the deodorant thing and they applauded and it caught me off guard. I went, like, what are you clapping for? I never had anyone clap at a joke I told. And this kid who had been doing he's been doing comedy for like four years was like, that was amazing. Cause I he was like, I knew it was over. And I was like, what? He goes, I knew that that. It was over and you were going to start something new. It's a really cool feeling. And I went, oh, and that's where I'm stuck right now is like every fucking bit I have is like, and ta-da. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting because on the one hand, you can say, all right, that's a skill you needed to develop when you yeah. first started. Yes. Was the ability to, <clears throat> I can't clear my throat off. <clears> throat> some water. Nice pause in the podcast. <laughs> Mike Pesca, it's a great. He's a great interviewer. Do it. You should do it. Mike. Yeah. Mike Castle. We'll have to listen to that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm never gonna clear my throat. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll keep going. <clears throat> um, Just drink vodka. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to the vodka. Hey, can I put uh, my mic on the t-shirt? Oh, I got it. I got it, and then I'll need help when I fuck it up. Bro, what's brilliant, what's brilliant, if you have a guy like this for like, if you block out like a two-hour shooting period where you go out and do stuff with him, you bang out your promos for the week for your stand-up dates, you promo your, God damn, I want, I want We're this guy. ideas. Yeah. Just two good. hours, just two hours, like 
Once a week, you could probably, tw probably twice a week, do Thursday and Tuesdays, and you could just murder content. That's a good idea. Yeah. We're going to have to do that. What's that? Jesus. That's my problem is I get, I'm, I'm a little micromanagey, and I like to edit my own shit. Like, I like to shoot and edit my own stuff. Well, because you're going to know your humor, and, that, and the humor in video, the humor comes out of the editing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so your joke that you told in Toronto and your feelings about it, you had to develop that skill of, of you, you were always, I feel like from the beginning, when you started doing stand-up, you were great at telling a story. And you had so many crazy stories because you were the number one party animal in the world. Mm -hmm. So you had so many, like, just crazy stories. But for stand-up, you had to, like, punch it up. And I feel like that was a skill you probably spent a long time learning. But now that you're so comfortable with it, it's almost like you're, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it's almost like you're naturally saying, okay, well, I don't want to be in my comfort zone for too long. What's the next step? So what do you think yeah. will happen when you stop telling these nifty ending stories? What's the next step for, for your development? I've actually put a lot of thought in that. It's one of the reasons I, I, mean, I love Bill Burr as a friend. He's a great guy, but I really respect him as an artist because what I noticed he did, and I don't know if he cognizantly noticed, but I've known Bill from when he did clean material. Like when he just worked clean and he like sounded like Brian Regan. And what he decided to do was challenge himself and go in new directions. So I've actually thought I would like to be able to act out more on stage. Which you do in this special much more than the machine. Uh, oh, so yeah. secret time you is three-fourths you're acting out. Yeah. The machine you're telling stories. Well, I was stories. super high energy. When I started, I was all act out. And then I and was And by the like, way, just to define, act out means you're doing voices. You're, yeah. Instead of just saying, this is what my dad said, you'll get your dad's voice, you'll get your wife's like Dimitri voice. Dimitri Martin's got no act out in his material. It's great material, but he doesn't act out much. Sebastian, on the other hand, would be- It's all act out. All act out. So I would love to increase that more. I would love to, um, I, I really, honestly, I, and I, part of me feels like I'm gonna, I might do like a one-man show, because I have all this material about working on Travel Channel, but it's very- uh, exclusive. It doesn't, doesn't, it's like my material. I think what I'm good at is making you feel like we're all in a living room and hanging out. And I'm just telling you stories. But I, when I do my travel channel stuff, it really is almost like one percenter. Like you're like, well, did I tell you about the time I was in Vietnam or the, you know, everyone's like, I've never even like, like it takes them a second to go, what, wait, what? And yeah. Like, but, but they, but the thing is, and this would make this, this is how you leveraged your party animal skills into comedy is that the audience, you're throwing a party on the stage and yeah. the audience wants to come to the party. Yeah. I notice in your specials, the audience laughs at stuff that's not even really that funny because they just want to join you. And I'm yeah. not saying this is no, an no, insult. No, 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 I know, I, I, don't, I don't take that as an insult. You're telling a story, you don't even intend every word to be funny, but when you say, all I did was blurt out, I am the machine, yeah. Everyone laughs. It's not a punchline. There's no punchline. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's funny. Like, of, co of course, our buddy, Burke Kreischer, is up on stage, <laughs> and, and then he's telling about talking to Russian gangsters, that he's, he's so nervous, he says he's the machine, and then they welcome him in with welcome, you know, open arms. Like, that's funny to, to, to the audience. And the way you yeah. say it, like, your shirt's off, and, you're, and you have the right bellow in your voice, and, you know, it works. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's... It's really interesting you say that. I've noticed that a lot where like in the machine story specifically, like uh, like there's lines that I go are not funny and but they get a laugh and you're like, huh, am I muscling that down their throats? But then you're like, fuck it. As part of the, you know. It's well, part, part, of part of humor is persona and, you have, and stage presence, which you, which it's almost like you borrowed from, 
let's say the the 10,000 hours skill of being the best party animal ever. <laughs> That's a brilliant fucking statement. <laughs> I feel like, you know what's so funny? Someone asked me the the other day, uh, when did you when did you start? When did you know you were a good storyteller? Or something something like that. In ninth grade. In ninth grade, and like, and I, I made a joke about this on stage the other day. I can't remember exactly, but I I went on a rant about hot chicks, about something about hot chicks. I forget what it was. I should watch that video. But something about hot chicks and going, I would love to be able to have been a hot chick growing up. Like that would have been great just to be hot. And then you're all you're as a, an attractive woman, you're automatically famous. Like you're people you turn heads and people look at you and they want to meet you. But I was like, I had to learn how to tell a story. Ninth grade, I remember I went to an all-boys Catholic high school, and and it was so different than my other high school because there were no girls there. So you had to have an ascertainable talent to be able to sit at a lunch table. Like, you had to have a reason to be at that cool lunch table. Like, if you looked around all the lunch tables and one lunch table was hot and people were standing up around it, you had to have a reason to have a seat there. And for me, my reason was uh, was telling a story. I remember rehearsing my stories from religion class over to the cafeteria being like all right i'm gonna tell the story about the beer run that we did and came in when he got now i literally was like and then a, a dog jumps in oh that'd be funny as shit and so i learned how to tell a story in in high school so part of it is and this this goes back to to the beginning but i think it leads to the comedy it leads to all your your career is on the one hand you appear fearless like you'll go on stage You'll take your shirt off. It's almost as if you don't care what people think. Um, you know, you're in the machine. Your your gut is sort of hanging out a little bit. Yeah. You know, on your reality shows, you'll 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 fight a bear just because the producer tells you to. Like you don't want people to dislike you, and you and you appear fearless. But the contrast is, a lot of it is because you desperately want people to like you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, hardcore. And and why do you think? Why do you think? When do you think that started? It started at the age of twelve. So what happened at the age of twelve? I don't know. I don't know either. You're gonna have to think about. Is that it. what? Is that what? Ha- is that? What I'm just they, guessing. Um, Thirteen, twelve. I don't know. I don't know. I, I really, honestly, don't know. But I desperately. I mean, like, I I have been well aware of that, and especially in like the uh, comment section on Instagram. I don't like negative comments. Like it, I like it them. really messes me up. So like I don't. I stopped reading them altogether. And then and then today Gary Gary V put out this video of like you need to be reading every comment. That's how you know what to do next. That's I was bullshit. like I was like you're wrong. you're actually really wrong. You're really wrong. And it, and and you're being misleading because I don't think you actually read your comments. And you probably have someone read your comments and then they give you feedback, but you're not doing it. And I'm doing it on the ground level. And trust me, it fucking sucks. Um, I, yeah, I, it's painful. Yeah, I want I, I because the only people who leave comments, by the way, are people who are going to leave negative comments. The people who love you, they just uh, oh, when's his next special coming out? I'm going to read his book. They're, they're doing yeah. intelligent things. Yeah, not commenting. Some people yeah, leave positive comments, like friends and family members, and like and like other comics will leave positive comments, and some people leave like definitely positive comments. But I, what I've noticed is it is a lot more beneficial for a person trying to get people to their channel, to their page, if they um, leave something really negative and then and then people reply. Mm. Like, and they, so they'll leave like the most volatile negative comment and then people will then go find them and be like, oh, that's, and so I, I was like, I wish I could block comments. You can. 
You can delete them. Yeah, but then once you delete someone's comment, they know you're they're in your head, mm. and I don't want them that privilege. Mm. So I just, I just don't read them. Like if you're negative, I go oh remember I like, and then I go okay. So what's the payoff? Do I really want my ego stroked by reading positive ones? Because that's that's really shallow in essence to go like oh man everyone's loving me everyone's loving me. And then versus that one time this woman's like, why would you say that about Chelsea Handler? And I'd be like, it was a joke. It's a joke. And I say that I like girls who have a hint of cunt in them. And like, like it's a joke. Uh, and then you're like, oh, and then you're, and then you watch her fight online and you're like, I'm just, I got to block you. I got to block you. I can't have you in my life. Like you're just, whatever you're spewing, I don't want in my life. But you have nailed, you've hit the head on the nail. I desperately crave, uh, acceptance and and people liking me what what did you think initially because because look a lot of people deal with this i deal with this what do you think initially caused caused you to think i need to add to myself like a storytelling ability in order for people to like me like why did you initially even think that i mean that's not even the like oh i have no idea you know i used to i used to and i still do um, this is a hardcore secret time. I had to I had to cognizantly stop doing this. I used to talk to people in high school and, and maybe in college, I don't but in high school I, I my friend called me out on it. Whatever you I would tell you whatever you wanted to hear, even if it needed me to lie to you. Like like if you were like uh I'm trying to think of the perfect example, but say say you were like you were like uh Man, um, Missy, whatever Missy, what you call it, is a slut. She broke my heart. I'd be like, oh yeah, and then I would tell you whatever. You, I would want you to be happy, so I would tell you whatever you needed to hear about that girl Missy, even if I had to make something up, which I thought would have been based in fact, even if I had to make something up to make you happy. And my buddy Blake called me on it one night, and we were at his dad's house, and he's like, I can't trust you because you're like. You're telling me things. You're lying to me. It was about this this group called EPU, right? EPU is a a, a group a, in our high school called a pluribus unum, and you had to. It was almost like a fraternity. And Blake and I had said we weren't going to do it. And then the older guys came to me and they were like, "Hey, man, we want you to do EPU this year." And I was like, "Okay." And then Blake pulled me aside and he's like, "You're not doing EPU," and I was like, "No," and I lied to him. I was like, the fuck those guys, dude. They're not, I, I don't, we don't want to be a part of those guys. And he was like, cool, cool, just so you know. And then they came to me and they're like, you're definitely doing it. And I was like, oh yeah. And I joined this group and I lied to my friend and I, and it, and it, and I, and I just lied to him, but I wanted him to be happy. And then when he said, called me on it, I said, I didn't want to tell you the truth because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. He was like, yeah, but you hurt my feelings now. I said, yeah, but I don't know which one would have been worse. <laughs> and I just, it, but I had to make a, I remember that I was a, I must've been a junior or sophomore in high school and I had to stop, I had to stop. Like I would stay to my stuff like, hey, when you see dot, 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 don't bring up that. And then I'd get there and I'd be like biting my fucking tongue. But yeah, that, that is, it is a crazy concept that you've pointed out to me that I definitely, and I've known this for a long time, but I definitely have a, a need for acceptance. But think about that tension Right, like there's a couple of tensions there. There's the tension of needing to be liked, so uh, a propensity to say yes when you don't want to. Then there's the tendency 
to live a double life because some people you're saying one thing, some people you're saying the other. So it's like you, you have to keep track of two lives and it's hard enough yeah. to live one life. But that tension creates humor. Like your story of like, I don't know why, after, on that reality show you describe in, in the book where you're doing you know difficult jobs like an exterminator and so on, in the episode that never even aired, you the producer says, you've got to fight a bear. You already had like two concussions, like a broken shin, whatever. Broken ribs, yeah. And so you know they're not, they don't give a shit about your physical health. Yeah. They kind of want you to die in the series. Yeah. And you said, okay, uh, I'm going to fight a nine foot bear. Yeah. And they did not give you any guidance at all on how to fight a bear. And you're just like fighting a bear. Dude, I used to that want. Went, that knocked you out. I used to want uh, approval, like Hollywood approval, meaning like I, I, maybe I put it around fame back then. But like I remember people saying like I, I called my agent the other day. I went to, and I was like, who calls their agent? Like I never called my agent. I always waited for them to call me. And like people would be like, I have a relationship with my manager. And I was like, I can't even hear back from my manager. And so I, I think in stuff like that, I wanted, I just wanted people to be like, he's. It's interesting because whatever my flaw is in that, there's an opposite side, and I could I could say names of guys that I'm friends with that were difficult to work with. I was so fucking easy to work with because I would do whatever the fuck you wanted. Dude, I got out of the I got out of the cage with a great white shark. I got out of a fucking cage. Like right, so you had to build this ability also to conquer fears. Because, oh, oh, let me tell you. Can like I, if you're flying, that was the funniest joke ever when you're when you're skydiving, you know, and yeah. and your main worry is that the lap of the marine or whatever you're sitting on is going to get hard. Yeah. My dad called me right before I did that. I was driving to Irvine and my dad called me and I said to him, uh, I said, I, I, he's like, are you getting ready for production? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just so you know, I'm going skydiving with Rachel Ray. And he yelled at me. He got mad at me. He's like, he's like, God damn it. You're not a, you're not a, you're not a fucking, uh, stunt man. You're a comedian. What, what the, f this is the problem. And I, and I, the first time I've ever spoken back to my dad, meaning like, where I corrected him and I said, listen, dad, I'm calling you because I need your support. I'm not calling you to reiterate things I'm already saying in my head. I need your support. Like I need you to tell me it's going to be okay. Like I already feel everything you're saying. I need you to be like, you're going to be fine. Everyone skydives. No one, like very rarely do people die. die. And my dad was like, okay, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'm going to have to call you back. And then we hung up and I didn't talk to him for like a, a week. And then I went skydiving. And I got this email from him. I wish I could fucking find it. it I, this email was the, probably the nicest email, the greatest email my dad's ever sent me. And it was just saying, you're my hero. I can't believe you can conquer your fears and do stuff you know are dangerous, but you can rationalize this. Like it was the greatest fucking email. I, I was in South Dakota when I got it uh, and I read it to the my, my crew of shooters and sound guys. We used to all drink after we shoot in my room and I read it to them and like one of the guys started crying, one of the girls started crying. They're like, I wish I could get a letter like that from my dad. But yeah, I, my need for acceptance had driven me to a lot of the stuff I did on television. And it comes across again as fearless. Like when you take, like oh. the, sig the, the signal of taking your shirt off at the beginning of a standup special is that you don't care what people think. When the flip side is you do care what they, you, they think and you're somehow conquering a fear in the middle there and creating humor. So it's, it all 
kind of creates this psychological cocktail that results in your in your uh, stories. I didn't even know I was I didn't even know I was fat to be honest with you until my buddy started fat shaming me. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Tom Segura started fat shaming me as a joke and he was fatter than I was. I didn't even know I was fat. I'm being dead serious. I knew I was a little overweight, but I didn't see it. I didn't see it the way that everyone else did. I swear to you on both of my children's lives, when I shot that special, the one of the Netflix special, I was like, bro, I look good. I'm being dead serious. I thought, I thought I looked really good. And then I when and now, and then when Netflix put up that billboard of my belly. I was like, that's not me, right? And they're like, no, that's definitely you. And then I was like, holy shit. Like, I think part of me is a little bit oblivious. One of the things that you said earlier about me wanting to be the guy that lives the life of the party and is and is like the number one party animal, I think part of it is a need for acceptance and part of it is like this pure oblivious obliviousness to the way people perceive you. Like not even like, you know, I, I go, I don't have a filter. But I really don't have a filter, and and it's the reason I don't do observational comedy because my observational comedy would be stuff that only I experience, and I'm shocked you don't experience. Like we do a thing in our house called uh, unassisted sleeps. That's when you go to bed without drugs or alcohol. My wife counts them for me. She's like, "Wow, you got five unassisted sleeps this week," and I was like, "Oh, thanks." People, other people are like, "I'm sorry, what? You don't just read a book to go to bed?" And I'm like, "Oh no, you don't do that." Like, so I think there's an obliviousness of the way you live your life that goes hand in hand with that need for acceptance. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it's almost like you were describing, um, you saw Tracy Morgan do stand-up at, at a Boston, either the Boston, Boston Comedy Club Comedy or the Club. Cellar. And um, he's describing about how we all relate to, you know- Who remembers finger-fucking by the handball courts? And yeah. we're like, well, none of us did that. <laughs> that was a common shared experience in his life. And he just thought everyone did it. 
But I thought just the fact that nobody relates to it is hilarious. Like I would have been laughing at that. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. The fact that no one did it. Right. Oh, I got a pretty dick. You can suck it with the lights on. And you're like, wait, who recognizes that? Like, but then you telling the story is even funnier because we get Tracy's joke, and then you're sort of <coughs> a mat. Oh, it's voice again. <coughs> I wish I could drink water the way you drink water. I can't do anything slow. Like you just took a little sip of water. <laughs> I just, I murder things. Like I, the second I take a sip, I just drink everything. That's why I'm not a good drinker. It's because I can't oh. just like chug beer. Oh, for real? Yeah, I guess oh. I sip it. I chug <laughs> beer, beer to an alarming ex- like rate. Like people, when I kill a beer, people are it's always like, like, they're like, really? I go, oh yeah, you don't take a breath before you drink and then open your throat and just let it pour in and not breathe. And they're like, what? See, that's a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't. I so would, there's no punchline. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you have like this real natural storytelling ability that is funny. You have it's you have funny stories. You almost put yourself in funny situations, and then you have funny stories out of it. The stories themselves are funny, and then the way you tell it is funny. With and then in, in your last special, I think you have a lot more punchlines and a lot more act outs, which makes yeah. it even funnier. The special is great. I think I've grown as a comic. I think my, I, I, oddly enough, and I think Ralphie one time said this to me. I think I, uh, he was saying, the question isn't how good's your special, the question is how good's your next special. Hmm. And because you do see, see people that put out f- amazing specials and then you never hear from them again. And they just, everything, like Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison's one of my heroes, but man, he did one special and that was it. Everything else was girls on chains making phone calls to people. It was, really a letdown and so i i I feel like i'm getting better as a stand-up but i feel like once again it goes back to bill burr i watched him get better as a stand-up and it was like oh just because you put on a special that doesn't mean you retire anymore and you just tore that material you got to do the next one yeah because now and so now you say okay you've kind of initially you were a storyteller and the stories were funny just like you just told a story now we laughed and then with this special you're calling them a little too nifty, which I think understates the fact that it's really hard to do to 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 close off a stand-up comedy bit in a full circle with callbacks and a yeah. nice ending that people are going to clap and laugh to. It's a really hard skill. And then you and then I'm just trying to figure what's you're saying you're going to improve now, not by reversing and not doing it. What's how do you move forward past it so it becomes better? Well, what's the way you're thinking about it? I, I, I've written, I have, an, I have a new 52 minutes that, uh, that I'm t- touring right now and try to figure out. Um, I feel like, I feel like if you could, I, I, it's like, it's like, you know, they, uh, Attell and Chappelle, I, it was an old New York comedy story is uh, Dave Chappelle's critique of Dave Attell was that there are seven types of jokes. The problem with Attell is that he's always looking for the eighth joke, the eighth type of joke, the one that you've never, the the style you've never heard. And I think that's what I'm doing right now is I'm like, what is that thing? Like, I'd, I'd like to put more act outs in. I'd like to get more character in my stories. But like, what is well, it? Let, let me ask you Let me ask you two questions. I'll, I'll throw ideas at you and you can tell me how you do them or not. Let's look at Chappelle's specials. So he tells, he's a master storyteller. He's almost... Yeah. Like you, a storyteller rather than a standard. Dude, kicker, kicker in the pussy is the best joke I've ever seen. Best ever. Best I've ever seen. And best I've ever like 
it i fucking fist pumped when i heard the punchline like i'm not even joking i was i can tell you where i was great jokes i'll tell you exactly where the fuck i was i was in west palm i was walking down the street i just had lunch and I was watching Chappelle's special in the restaurant as my bill came, and I walked out on the street down the A1A, and I had it in my headsets, and I said, so I kicked her in the pussy. Damn, I'm dope. And I went, oh, yeah, bitch. I did not see that coming. I love that joke. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And I think, if I remember correctly, he used the line again yeah. later on in the special. But also, was that the one where he's also meeting OJ? That was a different one of the four. Um, but he takes a story... And he'll in, he'll interweave one bigger story inside a bunch of smaller ones. Yeah. And so it's not so nifty. It's not so okay. Here's a story's beginning, middle, and end, and then I'm on to the next story. He's got like, like the OJ one. He has the whole special. He's like, I met OJ four times, and before the end of this special, I'm gonna tell you all four. Yeah. And so he's just inter. He then he tells a story, and then unexpectedly, he's like, the second time I met OJ, and then the show ends. And you don't think of it. Everybody's clapping. He walks off and he's come back. Wait, 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 wait. I forgot to tell you about the fourth time I met OJ. <laughs> yeah. so we've all forgotten it already, but he still brings it back. And that's kind of a way to kind of break that niftiness the way I think, he does it. I think, I think, I, what I think is would be really interesting, and I think Ari Shafir is doing this a tad bit, is to go overseas and see the way they're doing them in mm. England. Because, you know, people can, and I, I think I've probably given this, this, special more press than i've done my own special but nanette was a really interesting special to watch that's not what i do and I, I probably won't ever make something like that but to watch someone do it differently is what you need to do like to watch Chappelle's uh, uh belly room special and and go okay that's a I, I don't do that i don't i'm not gonna be doing that anytime soon but to see the way that people are doing it different i had, I had toyed around with this special this is really stupid, but I had toyed around with the idea of, because obviously when I go on stage, everyone still yells the machine, of opening up the special. Go, when I was 22, I got involved with the Russian mafia. Here's how it happened. And then weaving in my new hour to me telling the machine throughout an hour. So I'd, I'd open with that and I'd close with, fuck that bitch, this is Russia. And that is how I'd, and then I'd weave all my material through that. Right, because... You right now, the way you tell that story that I've seen, you just tell the story. And so twice you use the word fuck that bitch, you know, yeah. this is Russia, and then the story's over and you're on to the next thing. And yet this is such a this is actually a really complex story. Like you never really address, you know, so just just to summarize real quickly, uh, uh, rather than letting you summarize in a much more funny way, um, you go to Russia. You 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 hook in for for junior year or whatever. <laughs> Second junior year. Second junior year. You um you're in a class, but instead of like really hanging out that much with the class, you hang out with these Russian mobsters. Yeah. And at one point, your class and the mobsters are on the train, and you and the mobsters rob the entire train, including your class. And I never yeah. quite understood. Didn't your class and and you kind of said your class hated you, but you never really explained how did your class. Did you ever make up with your class? Did you give them their money back? So I always like, I, I find this more interesting than the story itself. So what happened was, and I this is really bizarre. We go to Moscow. For those of you who've heard the story, if you haven't heard the story, I apologize. But we go to, we ended up robbing my class on a train. 
And so, by the way, just the way you said that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went to Moscow, and I thought I was going to be kicked off the trip. I thought I was going to get sent home. I thought I was going to be in a lot of trouble, which was problematic because I'd also planned a trip through Europe after this trip. Uh, and then the teachers came to uh, my room in, in Moscow. We had to take a trip. We had to take the same train home to St. Petersburg. And they said, so we've talked to our people in St. Petersburg, and apparently uh, they said that it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened. And so so they, they would, they've asked that we let you party with them again and kind of keep them at bay because these are – these are real gangsters and they don't have laws. And so uh, you're going to have to party with them on the ride you home. Were, they were almost asking you to be the student interface to, yeah. the, to the mob. So when I got on the train again, same Igor and Igor, and they're like, the machine. And I was like, ah, I'm back. And I partied with them the whole ride back. We didn't rob anyone on the ride back. They just took pictures of me shitting. And then I know it was like bizarre to them that a guy would let them do that. And you got to realize these guys had grown up in Soviet Russia. So the, and I had grown up in the exact opposite. It was like Tommy Boy. So like I got when I I was like I was taking a shit and I said grab my camera and he was like what and he took a picture of me shitting and they were howling laughing that I could sit on a toilet and take pictures of me. So we did that the majority of the ride home we drank we passed out I think at one point we get back and then the whole class we have a, a class meeting. Um, so our floor just I don't know why the small details uh, I'm obsessed with them but like our floor was two wings two hallways and in the center by the elevator was like a little gathering area, like but a little bigger than the average hotel because this I think this had been a hotel at one point uh, in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, but it was a big gathering area. And there was a place where the, the women, they're called Davushkas, would clean our, they'd, they, it was like their office was there. They would clean our rooms. So we had a whole class meeting by the elevators and everyone was voicing their opinions about how they felt being robbed and that I should be held accountable. And Igor stood up. Now you gotta remember, this is a this Igor is, is at the student meeting. He's at, oh yeah, he's yeah, my no, my Igor, my Igor from St. Petersburg oh, okay. is at the student meeting. And you gotta remember, all the teachers are there, all the class is there. They're voicing their opinions. And Igor stands up and goes, fuck every single one of you. Fuck machine, paidium. And I, which means let's go. And I was like, what? He goes, paidium, we drink. Fuck you. You could have been fucking murdered on this fucking train. You have no fucking idea. This man saved your fucking life. I, I will not stand here. And we walked out of the meeting. And we went down to the little cafe. We had two, uh, they used to sell um, gin. And it was, it said gin on the cam. Just said gin in black writing. It said gin. And it was like gin and tonic. And we sat down and we had probably our most meaningful conversation to ever. And we sat and drank. And he was like, it was really upset. And he was like, this isn't America. This is Russia. These kids are holding American standards in a place of Russia. He was like, you didn't do anything wrong to them. You didn't do anything wrong. And I was like, well, I kind of robbed them. And he was like, no, but you, he goes, you have no idea. These guys could have done anything they wanted to your class. They could have held you at gunpoint and killed someone and not been held accountable. But when you later like ran into a classmate, let's say even on the it's plane happened, home. It's happened. I've had, well, no, it's happened as an adult. And so what did they say to you? I think, well, I think time is, obviously time heals everything. And most of them think it's funny. And like, and by the way, a little sidebar to this, that's the reason that story went viral is one of my classmates was the first people to, people to comment on you on the Facebook video. Huh. She commented and said, this story is 100% true. I was in this class. Uh, he fucking robbed us. And so when you were going, let's say with that girl, when you were going to say, look, I'm sorry, give me your pocketbook. No, 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 no. So uh, 
We robbed them at night while they were sleeping. Okay. So that, I mean, Makes maybe it better. I, I think I, I don't know if I tell it in the story, but we robbed them while they were sleeping. I don't know if that takes away or adds. I don't, I'm not certain. I didn't do it cognizantly, like do it for a reason, but we did rob everyone while they were sleeping. Uh, little heads up. If you want to rob a train, that's how you do it. Wait till everyone falls asleep. And then you jiggle the door to see if it's open. If it's open, you slide it open. Someone crawls in underneath, pulls the bags out into the hallway. You empty out the bags and then you slide them back in. Uh, and that's how we did it. And then if anyone woke up, Igor would spit vodka in their face. Huh. And so, yeah. And so, but oddly enough, when I backpack all through Europe after that, I knew how to rob a train. So, like, I never got robbed. And there was a, it was a big thing is getting robbed on overnight trains. And I never got robbed. See, this is a, a life skill you learn from these crazy yeah. stories. And this itself is like, I feel like, again, going in that extra deeper level in the story. You could interweave through other stories, Chappelle-like almost. Dude, I could do, I could do one hour about Russia. Like, I, I, glance, I glance over things, like graze over things so quickly. And when I tell that story, like, uh, we stole a boat one time. Like, that, that's a story. I mean, that, that's a legit 10-minute story of us stealing a boat. It was, it was so fucking bizarre that day. Do you, do you sometimes now put yourself in situations thinking, okay, I'm going to go into this crazy situation because I know I'm going to have a story to tell about it. I'm going to have a stand-up story to tell about it afterwards. Yes, but not yes. Uh, yes. The answer is yes. Yes. I feel like um, I know we were talking about this earlier, but I know that for a fact I ran the marathon thinking it would turn into a bit and it just turned into an Instagram moment of people. That's like the most viewed video I have is me running the marathon um, on Instagram. Did you train for it? No, no training. Just did it. <laughs> That's just a good idea. Drank the night before, got out there and I just bragged everyone. But I think all of these things are about, okay, how do I get my out of my comfort zone in my writing? How do I get my out of my comfort zone in my fears? How do I get out of my comfort zone in terms of how people view me? Like they don't view me as a marathon runner. So let's let's do this because well, think, it's going to be uh, yeah. over that edge. But I think what's interesting about the way that people are taking in content and the way you are as an artist these days, and I use artists loosely, is that like Ari uh, Shafir and, and is one of my good friends. And, and Tom Segura and Joe Rogan, we all do this thing Sober October uh, where we don't drink or do drugs in October. And, and that was a really big kind of like shifting point for me where I realized, oh, people like to follow along these days. Like they just like to like find out what's like, check in with you every day and get excited when they're like, oh, Bert's at yoga. And so they all three of them, and I think collectively I can speak for them in this behalf, but I think they all thought I was overusing Instagram and I was overusing, I was putting myself out there too much until one day Ari and I are at the airport and we go in to check in. I bring him into the first class lounge in American because Ari would never pay for that shit. I bring him into the lounge and a 57-year-old black man uh, checks us in and he goes, oh shit, the machine. And he goes, oh, what's up, Ari? And Ari's like, huh? And he goes, no, I just watched you guys in Atlanta the other day. That was fun, man. You guys looked like you had a good time at that uh, liquor store. And Ari was like, how do, how do you know that? And he goes, oh, I, I follow his Instagram. I love my favorite Instagram to follow. He was like, oh, it's good seeing you. You're going to get a double Tito's and soda? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, ah, oh, take care. Can I get a picture when you leave? I was like, yeah. And Ari sat in awe. And I'm, by the way, you know me. I love hyperbole. I love to make things bigger. I'm not joking when he sat in awe and he went, Dude, I think Instagram might be your television show. Like, I think you, the way you're running your social media and the way you're doing this, that's your TV show. And so that is why I started doing things like the marathon, the triathlon, going to Paris, like where I go, well, 
I'll just put it, I'll just live a cool life on the side and try to put myself in. And, but I do that with material. I go, I took my family to uh, Hawaii and my wife was watching me like r try to write bits, like watching me. Cause I, I'd, I'd taken them zip lining and I, in the middle of zip lining, I just went, oh my God, this is a fucking bit. And I literally pen and paper and I started writing stuff down. And I was like, oh my God, this is a bit. My wife's like, honey, be in the moment. I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I just clipped into a Vietnamese family. We don't know them. Like, this is going to be a bit. And she was like, oh, okay. And so now we go to Hawaii. We went to a, a dolphin encounter. And, and immediately I'm like, oh, uh, swimming with dolphins is like going to a strip club. I'm writing bits. Because like the, you show up and the trainer's like, ladies, we have customers. And they come out with that fake smile like, ee, ee. <laughs> My daughter's like, can we, can we touch them? And I was like, I already know this answer. No, don't put your fingers in their holes. Like it's, you're writing a bit. That's great. You, and it's all based, it's, it's an experience combined with a, a, a metaphor or a story from when you were a kid going to strip clubs or whatever. Yeah. So how did you, in your process of writing the bit, like, uh, this might just be the natural reflex of doing stand-up for so long, but how did you kind of come up with the metaphor that dolphins are like strippers? <laughs> that just, a, just the metaphor writes the bit. Well, I, it's super sad when you do a dolphin encounter. That's the way it's super sad when you go to a strip club because you realize you're, it, it's just, it's it's patriarchy, I guess, in, in essence. is like, and I just witnessed So, so it's like some emotion, like, oh, when did the, when's the last time I felt this emotion? Oh, I remember feeling this at a strip club. Yeah, and immediately I went, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, it's like untangling a necklace. The second you see that one in, you're like, like when you told me the thing about the Ashkenazi, yeah. I immediately saw the necklace untangle. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because so my, my first uh, idea for you was that um, kind of telling stories in this Chappelle interweaving kind of way. Yeah. Uh, um, like the joke you mentioned was, was, was your favorite. And uh, the second one was, so I described this joke to you outside and I said, I, sh I, I said to you, I felt like I should have added to it. And right away, you came up with this absurd uh, addition to it. Which, and I don't see a lot of absurdity in your specials, but you could also add more absurdism. Like, obviously, you're great at it. Well, I was jealous because I, I don't write the joke you wrote. Like, I'm not, I'm not good at that. Like, I'm, uh, that's not my, I guess, skill set. And yet like, you added it, though. But that's my skill set. It's like, <laughs> I like that. I like the imagination. I like the playing out in my head. And I do that. I like I do that in the moment when I when when I was swimming with the dolphins, I start imagining all the different scenarios that could have happened, and I start really kind of like, and and I think, mm. I think part of me, uh, I have to reel myself back in to making it, to making the bit like one of my real things I did on this special is like honing in the honesty because a lot of times for me I would go absurd earlier i would go absurd before i would go honest and i think this one i tried to keep it as honest as possible but as soon as you did that i went oh i know where i want this bit to go yeah you basically had without telling the joke you basically had um this uh hasidic jew from the 1700s going on a student tour you have, no idea, you have no idea how much i already love that bit because <laughs> what i don't do that you do probably very well is there is nuance that you could add to that guy his study abroad program like there's nuance to like like uh some comics do it really well i don't I'm, i don't i kind of i really rush through a bit meaning like i broad stroke things so much but like little things that would an ashkenazi jew 
would have with him on a study abroad trip to Nigeria in the 1700s and what life would be like for that experience and to then tell that story and then end it with, and that's how I got here. Like, you know, like I just, I love that. I love that immediately. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I was trying to figure out, it's, you point out, you looked at all the possible scenarios and then you kind of hone in quickly on the funniest one. And I think that's, that's a hard skill. Like at the time, in the moment when I was saying this, this was a, this was a joke I was just riffing in the moment because of the particular audience. I didn't realize I was be speaking in front of. And, uh, I couldn't think of how to go deeper into it. And you were just like, boom. Yeah. But sometimes I think that's the beauty of being friends with comics is like you get your, it's that you're inside your own forest. So you can't see the forest. Mm. Like I, I told a joke one time that I did not think was funny at all. Uh, we were, we do this new material night at the store on Tuesday nights, Jeremiah Watkins, uh, runs it. It's one of my favorite shows to do. And in the back are Rogan and Segura. And I'm up on stage and someone and they and they'll just call things out and you gotta write a joke based on it, which I love. That might be I'm better at that than I think I am at straight up stand-up comedy. But uh, but it's just free form. It's for me, it's just literally like a Rorschach test where you just whatever you think. I'll tell you what I think. And this kid goes, uh, take your shirt off. And so I would take my shirt off and he goes, uh, I said, What else? And he goes, Anne Frank. And then I go, oh, I used to think Anne Frank and Helen Keller were the same person. And he's like, and everyone starts laughing. I just thought everyone had mixed those two up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I did. And I said, I found that out at the Anne Frank house. They're not. And I told the story uh, of m me and my friends going like, and, and by the way, it's it's asinine to me that it's a, why I don't do observational comedy. The I mean, the premise is uh, that my friends had said, it was right after Russia, they're like, we should go to the Anne Frank house. And I was like, Oh yeah, we get a bag of weed and laugh our dicks off. And they're like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "I've been hearing jokes about this chick my whole life. We'll put a plunger in her toilet." And they're like, "Huh?" I go, "Yeah, yeah." And they're like, "I don't know if you can go to her bathroom, but you can see the closet they kept her." And I was like, oh, "They kept her in a fucking closet?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, the Nazis were looking for." Her. I go, "The fucking Nazis were looking for?" Her? I was like, "How many times did this chick roll snake eyes? Can't see, can't hear, can't talk. Locked in the closet. Nazis are looking for her." And then I was like, "Wait, how did the Nazis not find <laughs> banging around in the closet?" I get off. I'm, by the way. I, people are laughing, but I'm oblivious to why they're laughing. Uh -huh. I get off stage and Rogan's like, dude, that's a bit. And I went, no, 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 I, 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 everything's new. And he goes, no, 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 no. That is a bit. And I had taped it, luckily. I had taped it. And I went, I went to Omaha the next week. I'm telling you, I, when I started the thing, I literally was shocked anyone was laughing. But so, sometimes that, that, that is how it comes out. But sometimes it's like, I think it's like there's no filter, right? You have like these kind of, you probably didn't realize you have these connections in the brain connecting Anne Frank to Helen Keller and then just someone shouting out Anne Frank and you had no filter. Like a lot of times people would be nervous and freeze, yeah. you know, and I think you're just like, Bleh. like you, and it, it rolls into a joke because then you, you, it goes into your stand-up skills and you have these connections between Anne Frank and Helen Keller, which is an odd connection. And then you tell why. Well, that's the, the, I, a joke. I found out why, by the way, uh, it's Anne Sullivan. I used, oh, to, right. I used to confuse <laughs> Ann Sullivan and Ann Frank. Uh -huh. And I used to confuse Helen Keller with Ann Sullivan. Like Ann Sullivan was the, I saw the miracle worker. And yeah. so I never, Helen Keller wasn't the name that stuck out. For some reason it was Ann Sullivan. So when I first heard about Ann Frank, I confused Ann Frank and Ann Sullivan. 
and then just made that one person. So there's a, there is a connect the dots and whether or not you really confuse them, yeah. you still were able to kind of like connect those dots to act as if you confused the two of them. Cause I'm yeah. sure at some level, if you thought about it, you wouldn't confuse oh, them. Oh, I would have definitely, I would have, you know, it's like you hear those two stories at the same age. So it just melted yeah. in, but yeah, like there's a bit um, uh, that I really don't find funny but my wife is like, that's the funniest fucking story about, uh, I have a rash on my cheek um, that I got from this Vietnamese kid. Uh, this, uh, we were in Vietnam and this kid wanted, they don't, they don't have beards there. Like men don't have beards. Vietnamese people just don't grow facial hair like that. So I came out of the jungle, we went to this village and they thought I was a fucking werewolf. And so they, I scared the kids. They'd never seen a man with a beard, especially like a loud American man. And so I started giving them Skittles and, uh, and, uh, they were rubbing my beard. I'd give them a Skittle and they wanted to rub my beard. And then every time they rub my beard, I go, <laughs> and they would howl laughing, right? So this one kid has got this fucking dirty hand. And I'm like, oh, not him, not him. And then he does, rubs my beard and I growl and I immediately my face is itching. And I've had this rash on my fucking face for now probably like two years. And so I tell it, this is the part my wife finds funny. I, I show it to my mom. <laughs> And my mom just goes, oh, honey, you have herpes. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? I was like, that can't be your fucking solution, mom. And who gets herpes on their cheek? And my, mom, my, my mom's like, oh, we all have herpes. We all have herpes. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and so, yeah, part of me is like, I don't know if my mom knows what herpes is, but my, I, my but things like that where my wife, or like, like I said with the pajamas joke, with Adam Eager going, bro, that's the funniest joke. And I'm like, that's funny? Like, I think those are the times where you're, for me, and I think, once again, it goes back to, like, me in college. I, I, I was like, how can you be funny? I, don't, I, know, I know I can be funny in the moment, but I don't know how to be funny on stage. Well, well, hey, you know how to be funny on stage, yeah. right? Like, but I think what happens is, and the reason why maybe you don't go into the 50-minute story is you're telling the story at a college party where everyone's, this is where you develop your skills. You're telling it at a college party where everyone's drunk. You have to get through the story in 15 seconds yeah. or else you lose your audience. Yeah, so it's not like everybody's sitting around a TV watching your special when you're 18 years old. You had to, you had to hurry up because you were afraid to be ignored. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. That is, you nailed that. Well, you, you really like I, I, my therapy. I was supposed to do therapy today. I should have had my therapist Skype in with us <laughs> so that he could have been like, um, I actually have a note on that. <laughs> well, now we're gonna get back to your dad though. That's the yeah, initial yeah, yeah, tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the dad thing? I for, so I cut you, you off. You were saying, you were saying, you, you've, you know. Didn't don't bring up your dad much, your parents much in, in jokes, but when you tell like the Will Smith story, so you're doing stand up for only six months in New York, and the remarkable happens, which is that you're so funny, and Will Smith's production company is so appreciative of your stand up comedy, they get you a development deal where you're doing you're pitching TV shows with Will Will Smith. He invites you to go to the movies, and the whole story is like fascinating because it's kind of celebrity gossip. But then your dad's the comedian in the story, the way you tell it, he's your dad basically says, Oh, he's gonna try to be gay with you. Yeah. <laughs> and then you say you're a homochondriac and yeah. describe what that is. So like your dad kind of actually is the impetus for a lot of the humor in, in some of these jokes that, that you tell. And and you rely on him almost like um that that guy Justin Halpern who wrote the book uh, Shit My Dad says. It's like you rely yeah. on him to be your your straight man almost. Yeah, yeah. It's uh what was it like growing up with him? He didn't uh he didn't like 
he, I, I don't know the right way to say this without sounding bad, but like he didn't like my personality. <laughs> like, the, like the part of me that is that people enjoy, uh, my dad, it makes him very uncomfortable. Like, like, like what, what did he do for a living? He was a lawyer, still is a lawyer. Um, very humble. He's a very, very humble man. He would never, he never would brag. You'd never hear him brag about anything. But he's stern with you. Uh, he was a lot sterner with me than ever with my sisters. Yeah. Like he was very stern with me. Um, he, he says, and I, and I believe this, is that I remind him of his dad. And he lost his dad when he was 13. And so I think there's a part of him that was afraid to connect with me, maybe. Um, or maybe he didn't want you to turn out like his dad. Well, his dad, yeah, his dad died of a stroke when he was like 42. And I think he thought I was going to die of a stroke when I was 42. And by the way, I think Patrice died of a stroke when I was 42, maybe 40. And it, it changed the way I went to a cardiologist. Because of Patrice's stroke, I went to a cardiologist. I got on blood pressure medicine. I started, I, I, sadly, once I got on blood pressure medicine, I started living more unhealthy because I was like, oh, we're taken care of. But, uh, but yeah, and so... He was a very, uh, he, he didn't like to show off of me. It was a perfect example of my, me and my dad's relationship. When I was in first grade, I was playing second base for the Yankees in Pinto baseball, right? Denny Sullivan was my coach. Uh, Teddy Church was my first baseman. Jason Sullivan was a shortstop. And a fly, the bases were loaded. It was an evening game on like a Thursday. And a fly ball was hit to me, and I caught it in the air. And I took the ball. I spiked it, I ripped my shirt off, and I started dancing. I'm in first grade, right? Now, I think, I think the now- seeds of a, greatness are already there. In, 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 as a parent right now, I would, I would pay money for that experience, to watch <laughs> that. I would definitely pay money if it was my kid. My dad was humiliated. He was like, he was like you don't fucking do that. Jesus Christ. He's like, you, you catch the ball, and then you just, ugh. And my mom loved it. My mom loved it. Denny Sullivan yelled out from the from the the uh, from the dugout, "Put some mustard on that hot dog," and everyone <laughs> laughed even harder. Right? I was oblivious. I that was my natural personality. My okay. natural personality was to take. I succeeded. Spike the ball. Take my shirt off and start dancing. That was me. That that's Bert. That is Bert. Like that is who I am. Is right in that kid. But right so there. let's say your dad was like. Go Bert, right in that moment. How do you think it would have changed how you would have done it later, if oh, at all? I would have ended up being some fucking porn star Instagram <laughs> whore. Like, I, I, I probably, I don't know. I'm sure that you need that disapproval to become a well-rounded human being or you just become obnoxious. Like, if I had lived my whole life spiking balls and ripping my shirts off, well, I, mean, I guess I technically do half of that, but like, I'm sure you would be you'd be Deion Sanders. Well, well, but it, I mean, by, by the way, I don't mean to slander Deion Sanders, but like I remember when Deion Sanders came out, my dad was like hated him, just like oh Jesus Christ! I mean, can can you can you believe this? Can you believe that prime time? Like, and then and then adversely, my dad when Deion was playing two sports, my dad was like, man, he is an amazing athlete. Now, cut to Tiger Woods comes out immediately. Like there's all this showmanship behind him, like like he's like a flashy, and I I assume my dad won't like that, and so my dad calls me. He's like, "Are you following this Tiger Woods thing?" And I say what I think would appease him, and I say, uh, "Yeah, but fucking, I'm not a fan." And my dad's like, "Oh, buddy, you're wrong. You're wrong." 
this kid is all talent. This kid is amazing. And he, the words he's speaking is going to, you'll see, you'll see. You, what you got to watch is, and, and then he told me, he's like, you need to become a fan of his now so you can enjoy your life for the next 20 years. And I went, really? Like, you can never, it's my dad's one of those people, you can never, whatever he says to you, you can never figure out why he's, like, I'm, I've never what been able to judge that? that guy. Is that we're about to watch, we're about to be experienced, one of the greatest golfers ever to live. And if you get on board with him now, then you will enjoy the next 20 years of your life watching him play golf. But if you hate him today, then, man, golf's going to suck for you forever. <laughs> and it's so funny. I became a Tiger Woods fan that day, uh, and I I am a ride-or-die motherfucker for Tiger Woods. Like, I I, I, I love that guy. I want, him, I want success. I'm a fan. I had a, I had a guy come up to me one time in West Palm, and he goes, uh, his shirt's off, doing a meet-and-greet. And he's like, I need two minutes of your time. And I went, and the bouncer's like, bro, you got to leave. And he's like, two minutes, Bert, two minutes. And I was like, sure. And he goes, okay, I'm a fan. Do you know what that means? And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, I get it. And he goes, no, 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 no. When you succeed, I get happy. Like when good things happen to you, that makes me happy because I'm on your team. And I was like, okay, because I don't think you're realizing what I say. Like if you got a TV show, I would feel like I got a TV show. Do you know what that means? He goes, I got nothing in my life, man. I All I do is I have you guys that I listen to on podcasts. And when good things happen to you, I feel like I joined the right team. He was like, I'm a fan. And immediately I went, I'm a fan of Tiger Woods. Like I, when bad shit happened to Tiger, I got bummed out. When people talk shit about Tiger, it bothered me. And when I see him succeed, like this last championship where he was coming up at the, dude, I'm getting chill bumps talking about it. Like, I got excited. I was in Target with my kids, watching it, watching Tiger finish out his round on my phone, going yes, like that. And then I, I connected. I went, dude, I know exactly what you mean. And he goes, I'm a fan. And I was like, bro, I'm a fan of Joe Rogan's. I'm a, like, I'm a legit. I'm his friend. I'm a fan of Tom Segura's. I'm his friend. But when Tom succeeds, when Joe succeeds, when when I heard Roseanne was going to do Joe's podcast on her first interview, I fucking was like, fuck it. Like I got excited. And it's okay to be a fan of shit. Like, I like being a fan of shit. I'm a fan of Bill Burr's. When he goes on Conan the other night, I don't know if you saw it like a week ago, and murders, I cheer. I like, like, I'm in my bed going, oh, God, where to get it? And then I run into him the other day, and I'm like, dude, you murdered on Conan. Like, I get the experience to be able to share with my heroes and the people I'm a fan of. I get to share with them in that experience, you know? And, like, it's I'm really lucky. I mean, that's part of the benefit, too, of doing a podcast, but I get to call anybody up Dude. that I want. And I don't call up random people. Yeah. Everybody has to be someone that I want to talk to. It's dude, I love it. Well, I like Rob uh, you, Riggle. You do a great podcast. Rob you Riggle. call up your friends. I got Rob Riggle on my podcast. I think Rob Riggle was like, I don't know what the fuck this is going to be. And I was like, bro, like I'm a fan. Like, you don't understand. Like I'm a fan. I get to talk to you about your service in the military, which amazes me. Because I feel like we're the same guy, but I, then I go, I would have never done that. Like, I would have never served in the military selflessly, and you did. I want to find out where we veer. And I, by the end of the podcast, I got to be dead honest with you. I think Rob Bill was like, bro, that was a fun time. I was like, yeah, no shit. I'm a fan of yours. Like, yeah, it should have been fun. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Once again, I'm fucking my dad. I don't know. My dad, something like that. Well, okay. Uh, also, also I'll, we'll, we'll close off in a nifty way. Your, your dad. He didn't approve of you throwing the ball down. Yeah. You're still going to do that for the rest of your life, but you're just not going to do it arrogantly. You're going to do it thinking from all angles how people are looking at it, but you're still going to do it. You're going to take off your shirt, not because you're the most beautiful demigod in the world, but 
that's just who you are. But then you're going to worry about what people think. And that's where the humor is. Yeah, I guess so. So I guess that, that formative moment, if we're going to put this in a nifty bow, is at that time when I spiked the ball and I, and I was being my authentic self and my dad self-corrected it just a tad bit. And he was like, yo, life will be unbearable if you are this arrogant asshole who dances every time he dances in front of people every time he succeeds. Because you're clearly not arrogant. Like no, your story no. about when you introduced yourself to the Russian mobsters, where you had this whole uh, uh, hello planned, and all you can, you were so nervous at the final second. All you said was, "I'm the machine" yeah. in Russian, and you know it's because it's a mixture of your your the, the fearlessness you had there in first grade, but uh, maybe they're gonna disapprove. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think. Maybe they're going to kill me. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I think that it's, um, uh, yeah, I think there is a, I mean, what I was trying to say to them, honestly, was I'm the man, which is Yamashina, but I said Yamashinu, and it just means I'm a car. And so they were like, huh? And then that's what made them laugh is like, they don't have slang. So if a guy comes up and he's like, hey, I'm a car, you're like, what the fuck? And so it made, just made them laugh. And I just kept saying it louder and louder, not knowing what I was saying all night. And then, E, then Igor translated it for me. He's like, no, you're saying you're the machine. And I was like, oh, I thought I'm saying I'm the man. Like, I take a shot and go, I'm the man. And they were like, I'm the machine. And they just thought that was fucking hysterical. My dad, uh, to this day, I tell a story. Like, I'll tell a story. My dad goes, that didn't really happen, did it? And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, even the uh, the Will Smith story, my dad's like, I didn't, I didn't say he was gay. Like, and I was like, no, you said it. And my dad's legit words were, He's going to queer you. That's what my dad said. He's going to queer you, buddy. And I went, I, I, it's you like with the, with the Tracy Morgan story. Like Tracy, but, but just to be fair to Tracy Morgan, has come out and said that that story never happened. But okay, that's totally fine that he says that. Me and Tony Woods were there. Tony Woods and I both were there. It definitely happened. But I say this to my dad, and I say this to Tracy, like, to Tracy Morgan, if he ever hears this. Like, If I'm that good at just making up a story, I just write fiction. Like, what the fuck am I doing stand-up for? Like, if I had a talent that I knew that I could just craft a story that... The Tracy Morgan story might be the best story I've ever That's an amazing told story. in my entire life. If I could, at, what, five months of doing stand-up, if I knew that I could write that at five months of doing stand-up, bro, I'd be huge. So, so first, I'm going to give a, a, a shout-out to... There's a clip of you telling that story superbly on the Joe Rogan show. Yeah. So people should just YouTube Joe Rogan, you, and Tracy Morgan. And it's a great version oh, yeah. of that story. Plus that story is in your book. Great story. And it's a punchline at the end. That's a boom oh, at dude. the end. That was, that was before I realized. I mean, like, I, it's just how the story happened, you know? It's just the story. Right, but it, but it worked so well as set up punchline story. Bro. Acting out absurdism. It might be, it might be I mean, no joke. And by the way, I'm not funny in the story. I don't do anything funny in it. That, in my opinion, that story might be the best story ever told. Meaning, like, and, and I'm, but I'm saying that might be the best story that I've ever heard. Meaning, like, yeah, even it's, even it's, me telling it, it's, it's biblical just, of Tracy Morgan almost. So, and by the way, I know that he's on a different you know PR campaign of, being, but a lot of us young white comics only knew him as like the guy that would fuck with us. Like we didn't know him. Like that's. So like every guy had their Tracy Morgan story. Every one of us did. Everyone had run into him and just had a great Tracy. And we'd share them. Ryan Sickler shares his. Everyone would share theirs. And 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 it I just, think Joe Rogan collects them. 
Because I hear lots of Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan stories. is the funniest human being ever. Like, I'm not even joking. And he's one of those, he's an example of what I'd say that maybe that I, I'll, I'll pay him a compliment that I'm about to pay myself. So it's not the fairest thing in the world. But like, sometimes when you don't, you don't know you're being funny is when you're your funniest. Like Joey Diaz is the funniest human being when he doesn't know he's being funny. Like he just says something to you and you go, that's, the that's a bit. And he's like, huh? But like Tracy Morgan's like that. He was hysterical just being himself. Like watching him go on morning radio and morning news and just, he was the most entertaining guy to follow on YouTube when YouTube just started. Like everyone would just put up anything he did and man, that guy was gold. Cool. You ever hear his Doug Flutie speech? No. It's my favorite speech ever. And so, it's did my, he? Does he write material like that? Like, how does he? Did he just come up I with think it on the Tracy fly? Tracy Morgan naturally is just one of the. And once again, I don't know Tracy Morgan. Like, I've met him one time. It was the one experience I have. I shared in the story that he has disavowed and said it never happened. I think he got attached to the fact that it was PCP, and uh. and I think that's what bothered him. Um, when in fact, I tell in the story that. Tony says he doesn't smoke PCP, but I'm still anxious about it. Yeah. But I think that's what bothered him. But honestly, he I think he's just naturally God made a comedian. Like no one ever talks shit about him. He just is perfectly funny in every angle. His Doug Flutie speech might be the best speech I've ever heard. Like it's dude, it's him telling a group of comics about how they about they're like, remember when we were young and they'd say, you got to improv on shit? And he says, yeah, you got to improv on shit. And in the middle of saying you got to improv on shit, he improvs a speech that his high school football coach gave to his quarterback for his high school. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, he's fucking brilliant. I love that guy. So so let me ask you, like, you're, you were doing stand-up for six months. Okay, one beer. Yeah, keep going. We're, you were doing stand-up for six months, and then... Heineken. This happens Please. to... This happens to basically nobody. You suddenly have a TV development deal. Yeah. So, which means basically they pay you to sit around and pitch ideas. None of them, which might happen. Yeah. And then you're in a studio pitching an idea, or you're in Fox, I guess, pitching an idea to with with Will Smith by your side. And how do they say no? Uh, they didn't. Everyone, I mean, I think everyone said yes. Yeah. And then, by the way, this is when he was the biggest movie star in the world at that time. He still is one of the biggest movies. But at that time, he was the biggest movie star in the world. Like, I think Wild Wild West was coming out. Wild West uh, was coming out. Yeah. Like, he was huge. Um, man, it's a, it's a, I learned a lot from him. He taught me a lot about how to sell a TV show. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book, but you don't say what he taught you about how to sell a TV show. That's, uh, where, you, that's where you skipped over the... That's I think, where you did a large brushstroke. Yeah, I think, I think in part... The the one thing he taught me was something I it's like it was just witnessing him do it was and and I think this also comes with age in this business is he would go into a meeting I mean the one thing he told me across the board he's like just be yourself be yourself be yourself to the loudest you can be be yourself but I'd watch him go into a meeting and just ice the room just like like smooth it out like almost like you know like putting your hand down a sheet and kitten out the wrinkles, he just do that to a room, just smooth it out. How do you do that? It's an intangible. Like I can't, exp I can't teach you how to do it. I can't show you how to do it. I can, but you can see it when someone does it. Um, I'm trying to even imagine, like give one, one little anecdote up from a meeting where he like 
Boom, took control. So like, uh, like and we went to NBC and so when he had, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air had been on NBC forever, right? And uh, he goes in and it's maybe 12 people in the room. Everyone that could be in the room is there for the Will Smith bitch. Will spent, and this is going to sound cheesy and like, like, but he spent time talking to people that I didn't know. But there was a, the president of NBC at the time was at the head of the table. He spent more time talking to the other people than he did that guy in the first two minutes we're in the room. Like just really like, I remember he used to do this thing where he'd give you a hug and he'd say one love. At the time he was saying one love. I, I mean, I, but it was just that he just is so charismatic. Like it's it's almost like, like he'd find the connective tissue within seconds of you and him and you didn't know how he did it. Hmm. Like, I think part of it's the celebrity aura. Uh-uh, I think it's Will Smith. Like, I think it's, I think that's innate in who he is. When you go, oh, he's got that it factor. Will just has it. Like, he could get you to do anything. And he was so real. Like, that's the other part is like, you have an idea of what he was, was, but he was just such a real person in these moments. Watching him be himself, it just throws you off guard. You're like, whoa, shit, I got to be more me. You know, it's like, same, I, all the people I know that are successful, like Norm MacDonald, man, dude, that guy has that Will Smith factor. When he goes into a room, he just owns it. And he does, and he's not trying. He is not trying at all. He just, I think because it's almost like he's like transmitting on a different frequency. And so everybody has to tune into his frequency to even understand what he's saying. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. He, yeah, I don't know. I wish, I hope, hopefully I'll figure it out and do it for myself. But man, you see the guys who have it and you see the way they do it. And you're like, oh shit. So then though you pitch the show, they all say yes, but it doesn't happen. So like at some point, even despite Will Smith being involved, it's like they put on whatever they put on that year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't do it. And uh, and then I got a deal that immediately the next, uh, the very next uh, year from CBS. And Will called up. He was like, I want to produce it. And I was like, okay. But then what happens is uh, people get into a bidding war about, I'll, we'll, we'll give you $125,000 to produce it. And so you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll go with them. And so you just end up, bit, it got bid out. But yeah, he, uh, I didn't do it. Television, just, that that form of that scripted television just sucks. It just sucks. I mean, I'm going through it again right now. And it just sucks. How, how, how come you're going through it again? Um, I've, I've developed, I've developed probably, ever since I started with Travel Channel, probably every single year I've developed with a network. And it just sucks. It just, it's what we were talking about earlier. Too many fingers in the pie. If you could just make what the fuck you thought was funny and put it out there, so many more people would respond to it. I think that's why Louis was so good. And I hate to bring up Louis. I know a lot of people hate him, but I don't hate him. I, I like him, and I'm glad he's getting back on stage personally. Yeah. Um. I think there. I think like Michael Ian Black, who by the way is one of my most liberal friends in the world. There's. I a pastor. can't believe Michael Ian Black was brought into this. Was trending on that? Twitter over one that? tweet. Over one tweet and basically saying, I believe in a path to redemption. I believe in a path to redemption. That's what he said. And people are like, how dare you? How dare you? I don't, I, I was astonished because it's like free, the spigot of free speech has been turned off in the US. And I don't care about alt left or alt right. Um, I don't give a shit about anything. But just if Michael Ian Black, the most milk toast person on the planet, can't say something, that's a problem. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's a real problem. And it's a real problem. By, by the way, I would argue that the alt-right, 
hardcore lunatics are identical to the alt-left hardcore lunatics. And it's just the middle ground people like us, but like, you know. But we're not allowed to talk. There's like a whole, I think there's a hundred million silent moderates who can't talk anymore. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, which, which makes me irate. The point I was saying about, I don't even remember what I was saying about Louis. Louis, but, you like Louis oh, because. But, but Louis did Louis and he took less money to have creative control. I think all of us would do that. I just want him, I don't care about the money I'd make from a sitcom. I, I want it to be good. I want it to be awesome. Yeah, and like look at look at Louis as a as structurally as a sitcom. It wasn't like a three act thing. No. You have almost a, an eight minute show and then a fifteen minute show within the same twenty three minute show. Yeah, like he the structure of his show was absurdist and insane, but still had enough of a storyline that it wasn't completely absurdist. I I was in development so many times, and then one day I just went, I'm gonna write my own sitcom. That's so why I wrote it. I wrote it, and then because I wrote it. It got heat. Like there were everyone was like, whoa. And then all this, and like my my buddy was like, let's just make it. Fuck everyone, let's just make it. But then everyone starts getting into it, right? And uh and you meetings start getting and you I you give the script to your agent, your manager, and they're like, Whoa, 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 we like this a lot. Let's set up some meetings. And then you start thinking, okay, we don't have to spend our own money to make it. We can have someone who'll pay us to make it, and we'll tell them we want creative control. So then you take a couple meetings. And then they all pass on it, and then you lose enthusiasm for your own project. By the way, it was a stupid script I wrote about, like everyone wanted, a, everyone wants like a family comedy out of me, and I, I'm sure I'm able to do that, but like it just isn't creatively what I'd write personally. So I wrote a time travel script about my daughters coming back from the future to save my wife's life. Like my wife's gonna die in a car accident, and they come back from the future to save my wife's life. Uh, they do it by way of just showing me a sign in a window on the first day we get our pool. First day we get our pool, I'm recording, and I turn around, there's a sign going, don't let her go. And I, I'm going to edit my video that I'm going to post to Instagram promoting my tour dates, and I see the sign, and I'm like, what the fuck? And my wife walks into the room at that moment and goes, all right, I got to go. And I was <laughs> like, well, hold on. And we start a fight, and she doesn't go. I get kicked out of the house that night. She's like, we're fighting so bad, I go over to the bar next to my house, Pat's. And my daughters show up and they're like, and they're 28 years old and they're 28 and 30. And they're like, she didn't go, did she? And I'm like, who, wait, what? And they're like, she didn't go, did she? I was like, what? And they go, the sign, you saw the sign. And I was like, wait, I did see the sign. Wait, what are you talking about? And they're like, dad, it's Island, Georgia. We came back in the future to save mom's life. And I'm like, shut up. And they're like, yeah. And, and they know I'm obsessed with time travel, right? And they're like, dad, how cool is this? And I was like, that's great. I go, wait, so what does it change? And they're like, what do you mean? I go, like, what, like, the butterfly effect, you save mom's life, but what does that affect in the future? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, well, the rules of time travel. And they're like, wait, there's rules to time travel? I'm like, oh my God. So it's a script of me traveling with my two idiot fucking daughters throughout the future and throughout the past as they try to correct history's wrongs. And so it, 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 it's just a, it's like a, it's like Bill and Ted's meets, uh, yeah. meets fucking Everybody Back Loves Raymond. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, and, I wrote it and we got excited about it because it's funny. And like the second episode, they go back to kill Hitler, but they instead create Hitler. Like uh, they, they go back to his art school uh, and they, but they don't know what he looks like without the mustache. So they start killing all his friends. Uh -huh. And then one day, and then at, at the fucking end, they realize, oh shit, that's Hitler. And instead of just taking responsibility, they blame it on the Jews. <laughs> and so 
It was just, it's, but it's, but it's like no one would ever green light that. No one would ever do it. But me and my buddy thought it was funny, and we were gonna make it. And then when Holly gets would gets interested, you take all the meetings, and then you lose interest in your own project because you're like, well, fuck it. Maybe no one would have liked that anyway. But you know, like that's. But how do things get rejected now that like Netflix is spending thirteen billion a year, Amazon spending thirteen billion, Hulu spending, Apple spending, Facebook spending, YouTube spending, and all the channels are spending. Yeah. Like, don't they need material? From like professional comedians, they, a lot of like I'm not I'm not calling out anybody, but a lot of people don't want to be told they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So like what we like and what we're doing is working, and a lot of people don't want to be told they're wrong. So what I wanted to do with this show is uh, my my main plan was to create a pop create a whole podcast and eb and webisode like a website around this show. I wanted to make this show. I wanted to do a podcast weekly. That that was uh, would allow notes from the fans. So I put out the script online for the week. They could then read it and submit notes if they were like a, a Patreon user, right? And they I like, like that. It's like five bucks. They could then be a part of the notes process. We accept all notes. We then work the notes into the episode. We do a table read. That would be one podcast. We do the show. It would be audio version only. We do a show. That would be another podcast. And then we do a, a like a Talking Dead like wrap up of the show. And then the show would go out. The show would go out the week of the podcast, and you could watch the show online. So what was what was the problem? Why did they eventually? Why did anyone pass? Why did they at least like give you a budget to shoot the first episode? Uh, well, because I, I can only say like a couple of the networks uh, were like, I was going through numbers about like what my podcast gets and how many downloads my podcast gets, and they just didn't want to accept it. They were like, "That's not real," and I was like, "No, my podcast is bigger than any show you have on your network." Well, and not only that, you'll go on Joe Rogan's to yeah. promote it. You'll right. go on a bunch of podcasts. Joe's podcast is bigger than anything anyone's creating ever right yeah, now. Right, right now, right now, he is bigger than anything anyone's creating. So, like when you do on Joe's podcast, that's like doing the Tonight Show back in 1982. Right. So, like people don't want to know those those like they just don't want to agree with it. They're in a business where their business model set up to be, you know. Um, uh, our ratings are good, our ad sales are good. I mean, I'm not to shit on television, but I'll take two seconds to. I create and put out my podcast for under $1,000. That's what it costs to make my podcast. I reach so many more people than I've ever reached on a television show. Like a reality show on the Travel Channel, how many people will that reach? Maybe 100,000. An episode. And you've done... Uh, oh, by the way, 100,000 in the demographic... Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that would be a very big success for them right now. So, so right, right now. I'm not shitting on Travel Channel. I love those guys. Yeah, I'm it's just, just saying, a, like, it's just the nature of television. It's like the same thing yeah. for any uh, cable channel. So, so you've done so much reality TV. You're still kind of, I think, playing around with it. What, what's? Do you want to do more reality TV? I have a, I have a few shows that I want that I want to do, but I just want to make. I don't want to. Like, what do you want to do? Uh, I want to do a show called Stranded and Branded, where I go on a desert island and I'm sustained only by corporate integrations. So like, like that's a show I want to do. Like that you have to find sponsors to drop ship you. Sponsors drop me boxes of shit, and that's how I get by. And I think that's it would funny. Be a, it's a great, uh, yeah. It's a. I mean, I've I've ta I've talked about it on my podcast. I wanted there's I what I want to do. I mean, like I, the problem is I would still work for Travel Channel, but like it. I look at the infrastructure and it gets frustrating. So then I go, okay, so something's burning. No one makes any money. Uh, get, who gets paid are a, a couple cameramen and an editor. That's it. And a sound guy. Sound guy's from Spain. And so 
that's who gets paid. So for like roughly under $5,000, we're making a TV show that's getting a million views online. Then you look at, if you include a network, you won't get as many views. On, you won't get as many viewers as right, just never. across the board. You won't get as many viewers, but you got to pay for um, executives, their secretaries, their cars. The I mean, just the overhead is so big. So why don't you get like just one sponsor for the cooking thing on YouTube, and then you? It's like sponsors you haven't figured that out yet. Sponsors haven't figured that out. Like Barilla Pasta doesn't understand that it makes more sense in a boardroom for them to go. Um, guys, we're putting. $20 million into the food network. And then they go, oh, that makes total sense to me. I got the food network in my house. But it, as opposed to them going, we gave $50,000 to something's burning. And they're like, what is that? They're like, it's a comedian and he cooks, but he's not really like a really good cook. But like, it just doesn't make sense. And to he them. has a million views from within the United States. Here's the demographic. Bro, we get the exact analytics. Nope, nope. That, none of that matters. They don't think it's real. Let me tell you something. What's insane is that uh, I sat with Travel Channel. I sat with their ad sales team. I sat with the whole team. This is in 2000, 2010, 2009. And I said, what I'd like to do for a very minimal dollar amount, I'd like to start a podcast network for scripts, for Travel Channel. I want it, I want it for scripts in general. I want a home improvement. I want, I want it to be a lifestyle podcast network. So we'll take all the hosts well, through our, our already integrated ad sales, meaning like I've got Travelocity is already one of my sponsors from one of my TV shows. They paid for all the shows to be made. I want to go through, I want to grab all your talent. I want to create podcasts for them. We can do it for very cheap. And I explain my, how I do my podcast. For $500, I can either, we can either buy the hosts their own H4N at the time is what it was, Zoom recorder and a microphone and they can do with guests. But it'd be very simple. And, and I said, and I guarantee you, we going into ad sales and going into the upfronts, if you stand up and you go, we have the number one lifestyle podcast network in the world. We reach, and by the way, the numbers were growing at the time. We reach 1 million unique listeners every month, every episode, every, like, and no one, they were just like, uh, podcasting? Meanwhile, they bought mid-roll for like uh, 60, 70 million dollars. Yeah, dude. We're at the infancy of this business still, I believe, still. Because I think people are going to see the way we're doing sponsors and podcasts. I think, first of all, we'll, we'll, integrations are the next level. I would love an integration on my podcast. Some brand to just come in and go, we're going to buy every episode. It's Tito's Vodka or it's Budweiser or it's or it's Combos. It's every episode, we just want to be all over your man cave. We just, just, we're going to give you a million dollars. Just everything, just we're all over your man cave. We'll put a fucking banner up in the back. But what I think is happening with, you know, YouTubers are now going into podcasting because the money in YouTube's dried up and like no one's, it's hard to get money. Casey Neistat has a podcast, H3 Productions has a podcast, and they are killing it because these are kids. Grace Helbig has a podcast. They're kids with a money brain and are artistic views. So like, I'm telling you, man, we are at the infancy. I probably will never do television ever again in my entire life. Hmm. I will just make content that my fans like and I just got to find a sponsor who realizes, all right, men 18 to 47, that's who I'm trying to reach. Bert's talking to them already. Let's, let's find a way in. That's all I got to do. And here's, here's my hiccup. I want a guy like that to follow me around. I want to shoot content more. I want to be able to put content out faster. And I want an ad sales guy whose passion is selling 
to go in and find sponsors and bring them to me and go, hey man, what can you do with dot, dot, dot? What if you were to go directly to Travelocity right now and say, this is what I'm doing? Or what if you were to go to, I don't know, some some cooking brand or something? And I don't know if they'd get it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, part of... Uh, what if you were to go to Patreon and say, look, I'm, I'm, we're, we're doing this together. You guys are with me. You're going to be sponsors. Anybody who donates a certain amount per month, you're going to be on the show. We're going to visit your town. We're going to cook with you. Um, do it on Patreon. Like Jordan Peterson uh, makes 80000 a month on Patreon. Yeah, he's, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, but part of me is it's just me. You know, like that's what's a little frustrating is it's just me. Like I shoot all my videos for Instagram. I post them all myself. I put out all my tweets. I, I do everything myself because I'm a little bit of a micromanager. Um, and I think part of it is I don't want to dep- I don't want to like split away from my money. You know, like like yeah. Get like Segura's a, Rogan's a perfect example. Rogan has a twenty thousand square foot compound where he has all his shit, but he his podcast is doing so well he doesn't have time to do anything else. So he's but like man, I want that. I want that, and I want to just shoot shit nonstop. I want to shoot a sitcom. I want to shoot. Uh, I want to. Shoot, I want open tabs to be a bigger show than it is already. I want to do my podcast. I want to do everything. I want to put up content every single day. As a fan of content, I know how excited I am when new stuff comes out. Like I love the show First We Feast, right? Uh, uh, hot ones on First We Feast, where you eat ten progressively hot wings. I found that in its infancy, uh-huh. and I've been a fan. And every time a new one comes out, I get the same feeling. My tits get loose, and I go, "Oh, here we go." I love it. The one he did with Michael Sarah that just came out is maybe the best interview Michael Sarah's ever done because Michael Sarah has no clue what the show is and his guards That's down. That's funny because he's he's got such a classic personality. I can't imagine him on that show. Dude, it is such a great interview with Michael Sarah. It is such a great interview. I just want to put out more shit. I want to do I want to do uh, there's a show I want to do called One Bottle with Bert where me and a celebrity have to drink one bottle of booze together, which by the way, I can do by myself. But like <laughs> so like don't get afraid if you're a celebrity, but it would be cool to see Charlize Theron on that. Just put back booze. Like I, I just want to create content. That's so, it. So okay. So you must have an agent, and I know agents are, you know, they're waiting for you to come to them with a prepackaged deal, all ready for them to just put their signature on. But can't an agent say, "Hey, I'll take some of the financial risk with you, and we'll we'll do this"? No, no one's willing to take the financial risk. It's me. I'm the one that like I got to Dane Cook it and put my money where my mouth is. And I think you know, I think that's. Like I, I just had a meeting with a, a really big company and I told them what I wanted. I want my own fantasy factory. I want to make my own stuff. I could, I've proven it works on a very small level, but I think with more money, I could really increase it and make it bigger. Um, but I, but then once again, it's like, then you start cutting your money in half. Like part of me goes, I just need what I need. My wife keeps goes, just be patient. I need this special to be good. I need people to like it. I need to go on tour. I need to make more money. And then, and then I can take money and make my own thing. Like if I was... Rogan or Burr, oh my God, get the fuck out. I would be, I, I don't know. I mean, I know how much money they make, a lot. Like, I'm guessing. Like, I just think if I made that, like, Sebastian made $13 million last year. Yeah, just on the road. Bro, a million dollars. No I, I'd TV, take a million dollars right away, No right TV now. show, yeah. no movie, just on the road. $13 million. I'd put a million dollars and I'd just make content. I'd make content. Oh, fuck yeah. I'd make a movie. What am I, like, I'd, I'd do something and just put out stuff every day. I'd love it. All right, well, we'll have, we'll have to figure that out. I'm going to think about it. Oh, let me tell you something. Because I, I think we, th- we think about the same thing all the time, that traditional TV 
not that it's bad or good. It's just divided up into so many small components now and everybody's going to YouTube and Instagram. I don't even know if YouTube's going to be able to fight off Instagram with IGTV yeah. and you know Instagram stories and, and so on. And Instagram's extending the time limit on video. That might be the new, the only network. We don't know. Facebook Watch. I, for the first time, I'm actually watching videos on Facebook on my app. The things that work, can you imagine if you did with your stand-up what networks do with television shows? And you came up with an idea, and then you brought it to a group of people that technically have never done stand-up, right? But they've been in comedy clubs. They've been around comedy clubs. They've been to them. And then you brought them your idea. And then they were like, oh, I think it would be better if, can you put that, instead of that, your wife, can you just say it was a black woman that's trending very well? Yeah, like, no, you learn almost instantly that that's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, I would never do that in a million years. I think that's what is happening with with art and content is like people just want to see it uncut. Listen to this fucking podcast. I'm, I just burped. Do you think a network exec would have been like, can we edit the burp out? You're like, no, the guy's drinking. That's what makes this great. No, that's what makes pots. That's what makes podcast great is that this is sort of the wild west you're, you're Bro, i want mistakes to my happen my favorite parts of podcasts are when they go off off hilt kilt and and you just listen to like the guy go off mic and you're like wait where the fuck did he go like i love that shit yeah. one of my favorite podcasts ever uh was like this guy telling this story about being in space right this is i I, I think about this story. This guy went to space and he almost died. I forget what it was. I, I forget what show it was on. It was probably on one of the NPR type shows. It was this astronaut and he was on the fucking phone with the guy. The guy was on the phone. It's gotta be, uh, it's gotta, it's gotta be. Uh, like Freakonomics? No, it wasn't, no, yeah, so like that, something like that. One of those, one of those two. Uh, that or, or the Radio Lab. One of those two, uh -huh. right? This guy was on the fucking phone and he told a story about being in space and his and having a hard time getting back into his his space thing and he was with a bunch of Russians and he had a picture of his family and his fo mask was fogging up but he was on the fucking phone and these two guys that were the hosts were listening to it on the phone and they were on a stage and I was on a treadmill and I stopped and I just stood as the belt moved with both my feet off and I listened to this guy on a phone tell this story and I was like, oh, in, my, in my head, I go, any network exec was like, whoa, 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 lose the phone. The, it doesn't sound right. It just sounds weird. It's not going to be good. Don't, I, you know what? Let's just, who can we get in studio? And you're like, no, this is the best story I've ever heard. I'm not doing it justice. You have to find it's about an astronaut. It's got to be on one of those two shows. An astronaut. And he's just telling the greatest story I've ever heard about him living in, in space and almost dying. And all I could think is how networks would have fucked that up. But it's, yeah. but there's no networks. It's just two guys going doing a podcast and this guy called on the phone. Oh, such a good fucking story. And so so how does this translate into what you're doing now with stand-ups? Because still you're doing a special on a stage, the same format that Eddie Murphy okay. did that's a really, that's a really ago. That's a really great point. Um, I tried, well, first and foremost, I have to say that Netflix was kind enough to pay for me to make it. Netflix has a platform that's massive. You'll reach people that would never have seen you if you didn't do it on Netflix. Um, but I'll tell you right now, if I didn't do it on Netflix, I wasn't doing it with any of the networks. I definitely wasn't doing it with Comedy Central. I definitely wasn't doing it with Showtime. I definitely wasn't doing it with HBO, simply because that is a, that is a dated format. 
to tune into something to watch it doesn't exist unless it's Game of Thrones for me, right? And even still, I don't watch Game of Thrones when it airs. I put it on DVR. Right. And the only reason I watch it is because I'm a grown man who grew up around appointment television, but I wasn't doing it. So I, then I thought, all right, so then what is the format of stand-up? How do we relay stand-up? I know that we had talked, me and Bill and Al and Tom and Ari had talked about we have our own network, All Things Comedy. Do we simply release our specials on there and compete with Netflix? Take the biggest comics in the game, not saying that we're the biggest, but like aggregate some of our friends like Jim Gaffigan and say, let us release our spe your special. Let us pay for you, Whitney, and we'll make it and we'll put it out. Then I thought, I like podcasts. I like that I can count every, uh, every Thursday Marin comes out. I, I like that I can count on it. What if I did my stand-up hour special and I, and I stopped working about an hour. What if I just said, I'm going to do material and release it once a week. Once a week, you can count on me giving you a chunk, a bit that I've worked on. And then I space it out for an entire year and I, play, I put stuff online that way. What if I did a brand new 20-minute uh, special, the way Netflix is doing 20-minute specials? What if I did a brand new 20-minute special once a month? And I promised you I got new material once a month. And then I was like, what if I just did the hour special, put it on YouTube? Because that's where I found... Kevin Hart. I mean, I like I've known Kevin forever, but like I watched his special on YouTube. I watched Bill's specials on YouTube. I watched it on YouTube. So I started looking at it going like, what's a different way? You've seen a lot of guys try to do that, you know, and it just hasn't worked. But I thought, what if you took a Tim more Louis CK sort of worked? He would put out a special just on his website. Horace and Pete. I watched yeah, yeah. every episode. He made millions of dollars on that. Yeah. And I thought, what if you just did it that way? What if it's gotta work? Like if people like all people want to see is they just want to laugh. Like the machine story, a little sidebar. So like I did the Showtime special and then I misread my contract and I thought I could put up four clips, just four clips. I didn't realize it was four clips under two minutes each. So I put up four stories. I put up like 37 minutes of my, of my Showtime special just on myself. Like I just uploaded it. And then because I did that, other people just ripped it and posted it everywhere. And so it got posted all over line. But man, if that machine... I, I watched them on YouTube. Yeah. If that machine story hadn't gone viral, if, that, if I hadn't posted it, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in this room right now. If I hadn't posted it and misread my contract, I would not be here right now. That is guaranteed. Is that people ripping it and putting it online created a fan base that were like, dude, I like your material. I like that machine story. So then I go, all right, so we know that works, right? We know that works. Why are we fishing in the hole that doesn't work anymore? Like, why are we going? I mean, why are we going? Why is it? I mean, no disrespect, but until Comedy Central changes their model of how they do put out specials, why is anyone watch, putting a special out on Comedy Central? I mean, I did one. I guess just I'll tell you why. For if you're a young comic, um, just for the legitimacy. So then yeah. you get a credit. Oh, this you might have seen him last month on his own Comedy Central special. It's sort of like... Uh, a virtue signaling of okay, this guy's legit. Yeah, already. That's did, the only reason. I think you just have to re like. I, I I just had a meeting with Travel Channel and they said basically whatever you want, we'll do. And I was like, okay. And so I called my agents and managers and I was like, what do we want? Like, cause you get to now you get to go like, what do we want? And they were like, what do you want? I said, I want to own all the material. I want to own it all. I want to own it so I can put it out whenever I want. Cause I've shot some amazing things for Travel Channel that no one's ever seen and no one ever will see because I don't own the material. And I was like, I want to own all the material. And they're like, they're not giving that to you. I said, well, that's the next deal I want. Like, I don't care about a paycheck. I want to own everything. I you want know, to own You know everything. what you should do? You know what they should do? You should find just some obscure channel, like channel 495. I love, I love that. I, can I tell you, 
when they first told me about your podcast, I Googled you and I went, oh, this is the kind of brain I want to be around. Yeah, I should. I should find fucking like like Fuse Network. Yeah, and then and then what you want is for them to air one episode and then cancel it, but you keep the digital rights and then you sell on iTunes. Yeah. And then after iTunes, you put it on YouTube. But then you make a lot on iTunes first and then on YouTube. I should do a straight up production deal with a network that is failing. Right, because they still get on iTunes needs a network. Yeah. But Travel Channel is like, you're dealing with all the paperwork. With, you know, some obscure channel that is just like wants you, they'll say, oh, you want the digital rights? Yeah, we don't even sell anything on iTunes. And then you then you have a then iTunes will feature you as new and noteworthy because you'll be popular. Can I tell you? I immediately I go. My brain goes. I wonder if there's some obscure loophole. You know how like Canada has to uh, feature ten uh, or twenty percent of Canadian artists on TV. Yeah. I wonder if there's some obscure lo loophole in like Japan where they're like they've got to make expatriate TV like twenty hours of it a week. And I move to Japan and I start a production company in Japan and I make a sitcom in Japan and just own everything. Like I love, I, I would, I, that's a brilliant idea. I just want the money to make stuff. I want to come up with stupid ideas that I have and make them. Like something's burning. It's going very well online. I want to just make sure more shit like that. I feel like though, if that's getting 1 million views and you're featuring products that you're using to cook and you've got like your friends, celebrities who all have audiences there's got to be sponsors. Who, who sells your podcast ads? Uh, I, I have a lady out of Chicago that does my podcast ads, but she isn't, like, she's not, no one has taken the reins of going like, you know, let's plug these products into uh, YouTube or, or videos the way that they have with podcasts. I, I think we're not there yet. Like, I remember watching this guy, Mr. Ben Brown. Um, he's I, the, one of the guys that inspired me to do a vlog. I did a vlog for like a year and then I had to stop. It just was cannibalizing my life. But like he did, he was doing commercials for Audi and his vlog, he was at always working with Audi. Like he was in an Audi, he was doing, and, I, and in my head I thought, I hope to God someone was forethinking enough to go, yo man, if we hire this vlogger to do our ads, we're gonna be in all his fucking vlogs. He's gonna be showing our cars in all our vlogs. Like we won't have control over how it's represented, and I think that's part of the thing. But like, like I would shoot. I shot this thing for a Subaru one time for Travel Channel. That was the funniest thing I've ever done. It one, of, it was making our cameraman laugh so hard. We were doing an ad for Subaru in Austin, and all we had to do is take the Subaru up and drive it up to a boat ramp, and then get out and go out and get in these kayaks. And obviously, our ad sales were there. And a lot of times, that ad salesperson wasn't the most uh, dialed in to like creativity. They were just like, they'd given, been given one note and they were there to relay it. And she said, so do me a favor. When you get out of the Subaru, just like, if you could like really express how much fun that ride was. And I was like, we're just pulling up to a boat ramp. She's like, I know, but like, if you could just be like, like something like just of how great that car is. And I was like, that's gonna reek of like ad sales. And she goes, I know, but don't make it reek ad sales. Like just make like a nod of like, God, thank God we have a Subaru to pull up to this boat ramp in. Do you know what I'm saying? And I was like, yeah, I think I got gotcha. you. And so I, I, there was a song uh, by Kesha, uh, Die Young. Uh, I feel your heart beat to the beat of a drum. And so you could never use music in Travel Channel. So I do the first take and Kesha's on and I'm like, fuck it. So I pull up in the Subaru 
and Kesha's blaring. And immediately everyone's like, no, we can't use Kesha. And I get out and I make love to the Subaru. I fuck <laughs> it. I fuck it for like 30 seconds. <laughs> I fuck, I start with the gas tank. I work away to the front. No, I start with the hood and then I work my way to the gas tank. Huh. And then I said, is that what you were thinking? <laughs> everyone's laughing. And then I go, just use that. Like, do you realize that people will watch that? Or One even time, if they just put that on YouTube now. Yeah. So one time we were in a pepper field in New Mexico and I had to, they said, hey, I need you to pull up to the pepper field, by, but take your time with it. And I was like, okay. And they're like, we're just like, we want to, we're going to really shoot some beauties of this. So take your time with it. And I drove for 10 minutes in a pepper field. And every time I got to them, I just would turn around and keep going. And I just was driving in circles in a pepper field. Everyone's howling, laughing. And I'm like, you know, I got I to gotta be honest with you. If we just showed the drive up to the pepper field, more people would watch that than whatever the fuck we've planned to shoot. Like, it's just so ridiculous. So part of me wants to find a sponsor that's like, yeah. Like, I'll tell you, one of the most viral things I ever did, Combos came out with a new flavor, right? This is just independent of everything. They came out with a new flavor, buffalo and uh, blue cheese. Buffalo wings and blue cheese. I tried them and I fucking loved them. I said, Combos, you changed my flavor palette. I, you just redefined it. And I was like, hey guys, let's take a second and help Combos come up with new flavors. And it went viral. It went viral to the point where Combos hit me up and they were like, dude, we don't know how to repay you. And I was like, boxes of Combos. So they sent me boxes of Combos, right? That's great. But what they couldn't control was what was making it fun. Like they couldn't control that. They didn't come up with that in-house. Because there's people an authenticity. Like, you can't yeah. come up with that in-house. People are like, oh, like, you know, like just weird combos, whale and whiskey. Like, and, and it was just going viral and people were loving it and they were laughing at it. But combos couldn't have come up with that interior. Like they couldn't have just been like. See, I think, okay, I think you should do a special of you doing ads for com for companies that don't approve. <laughs> and so I tried that. So I did, uh, there's a, Lindsay Pellis is a very famous Instagram model. She has a very viral video of her running in slow motion in a tank top and panties. And she's running in a field and she's not wearing a bra and the tank top's like half cut. And I had her on my podcast and she said, that video broke me. Like it made me, it put me over the top. Everyone followed me from that. So then I reshot a very similar video of me running in my back <laughs> backyard in, in uh, Hanes underwear, Fruit of the Loom underwear. Um, and I... It was for Mother's Day. It was going to come on Mother's Day. And I, the, I ended it with um, Happy Mother's Day from Fruit of the Loom underwear. And I, I put it on there. And my lawyers and everyone was like, this is a horrible idea. We're going to get sued. Oh, my God. How can you get sued from that? You're allowed to say Fruit you, of the Loom? No, but I, I can't say this is brought to you by Fruit of the Loom. Uh. Like, I couldn't say that. And they were like, just, just don't. So I just put Happy Mother's Day from Bert. But I thought it would be so fucking funny if people believed it was from Fruit of the Loom. Like, if people were like, this isn't even attractive. Like people get upset over the dumbest fucking things. I got a I got a fucking five page email the other day from a woman mad at me that I took my shirt off on my special because I ruined the chance of her might being able to like me because she couldn't look at me with my shirt on. And I was like, well, then you don't like me. You just don't like me. Like that's who I am. And then in the email, she I spent a whole paragraph talking about how she was a nurse and she sees shirtless bodies. She sees obese bodies. It doesn't bother her. But for me to do that. On my moment of telling, I was like, what the fuck? But yeah, like, no one's got a sense of humor about shit like that. And you gotta, you gotta be willing to roll the dice and get sued to the fucking nines. Your dad's a lawyer. You gotta roll the dice. My dad would not find the Fruit of the Loom video funny at all. My dad would be like, buddy, why? My dad doesn't understand why. He goes, why don't you wear a fucking shirt? Why don't you just put on a coat, put on a, a nice blazer 
with a tie. That's what a comic should look like. But yeah, he doesn't get the shirt off at all. So, Bert, they're about to start an open mic in here. Are you serious? Yeah. This is open mic time, what time? at Stand Up New York. I could hang out and do some... I got some new bits I'm working on. Yeah, let's 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 do an open mic. Yeah, five. Yeah, we'll just sit around and drink, and then, by the way, learned that lesson a long time ago. Do not drink on stage. Get hammered. I've had some of the worst sets of my life. Like regrettable. I used to um, come up on the stage drinking, and I would just the first 15, 20 seconds, I would just sit and drink, and then. I would say to the audience, what, you guys don't drink at work? And that would break break the <laughs> you guys ice. Don't drink at work. So <laughs> you guys don't drink at work. <laughs> That's good. I just needed to break the ice. That's always my hardest part. So. Oh yeah. I take my shirt off. Yeah, you take your shirt off. By, you way, have to by do the way, something. you have no fucking night. Try it one night. Try it one night. Get up on stage I'm and rip afraid. your shirt off. And just watch the fucking crowd loses their mind. Like when I take my shirt off, I it is like Rogan was in the back of the store the other night, and I, I and Burr was behind me, right? So Burr's about to go on. Rogan's in the back. He's watching. Man, this is a stellar lineup. And, oh, dude, that's the store right now is fucking on fire. And uh, we had all done a room, a show upstairs, and I had kept my shirt on. And I go on stage, and I take my shirt off. I do the set, have a good set. I come off, and Burr says, Burr's the first one to see me. And he goes, ah, oh, so we only take this shirt off when it fucking matters, huh? And I go, what? And he goes, ah, oh, it's got to be an important set. We take the shirt off, huh? And Because it kills. Like the second you take it off. And then Rogan sees me. He goes, dude, I've never heard an, a group of people lose their mind that hard when you take your shirt off. And he goes, you're not in shape. Like, they're, <laughs> like it's not like Arnold out there. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's bizarre. Try it one night. Just take your shirt off. And it, dude, it's the icebreaker. It's, I'm telling you, it's, I'll always take my shirt off just because the second you take it off, everyone's like, ah, oh, what the fuck is this? Like as opposed to like, meh. I'm not really sure about this. My only thing I haven't done, and I want to try this, is I want to do, I want to do, uh, rip my shirt off in an all black room, <laughs> get up on stage, rip it off, and then start my material and not acknowledge it and just watch them be like, huh? <laughs> but all right, well, Burke Kreischer, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Secret Time is just released on Netflix. It's it's excellent. It's one of my favorite specials out there now, and. Hope you come on again. He's, I, I would love great. to. I would love yeah, to. Yeah, let me know next time you're in New York or I'll definitely give you a call when I'm in LA. Yeah, and, uh, I would love to have you on my podcast. Yeah, let's um, do it. I'm in LA. Yeah, whenever you're in LA, just text me. I'll give you my number and uh, I would love to have you on. I would Excellent. love to have you yeah, on. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, thanks a Thank lot. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>